I've not looked at anything. You're always prepared. I'm, You're like a Boy Scout. Are we recording? We're recording. Okay, good. I am a Girl Scout. A Girl Scout. I was not after. Were you a Girl Scout? I was a brownie. I was a brownie, too. And then too. I went to day camp, and I had to pee in an outhouse. And, and you I were like, game over. Literally, <laughs> I can remember. This is like hardwired into my... This is like a formative moment in my okay. life. I was pointed in the direction of like a wood shack. I mean, you, I didn't grow up in like the 40s, but still, <laughs> in Rhode Island, I guess this is what Girl Scouts learned. And I was pointed in the direction of a wood shack. I opened the door. I stared into the darkness of a wooden yes commode. Oh. And I was like, no. And I turned around and I walked out and I was like, call my mother. I'm going home. And my mother, bless her, came and picked me up from brownie camp. And that was the end of my Girl Scout days. <laughs> Tell me about yours. Because you also hate camping. So. I hate camping. I was a brownie, but it was like at school. Mm. And I kind of remember thinking the uniform was cool. Yeah, like having a sash like yeah, Linda. Yeah, having a sash like Linda. But I did not. Listen, Linda has the best badges. Though. Yeah. Everyone, if you don't know who we're talking you ha- first of all, surely many of you do know who we're talking about when we Should talk about we Linda. Should we introduce ourselves, Sarah? <laughs> oh, and also they're going to hear that it sounds different than usual. Yes. I'm Sarah McLean. No, what? This is, you're listening to Faded Mates. (laughs) I'm delighted by all of this. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. And usually Sarah and I are a thousand miles away. And now we are instead, what, a foot and a half away? Yeah, very close. I'm worried actually about my breath. Like that's how close we are. (laughs) Your breath is fine. Anyway, um, we are together at a Polycon at at last, which is delightful. We are recording on one mic. We're getting we're getting up on it, as Eric likes to ask us to do. I know I should check and check our levels. <laughs> but it's really exciting. Tomorrow night is Faded Mates Live, and it so is. we decided we would um, give you all a little bit of a taste of having Jen and me. We did this in once before. Real life. We, we did. did this at, in our in my old apartment. We've done it that way. And do you remember at KissCon pre-pandemic we did it? Oh yeah. In, a, in your hotel room, because it was in Chicago. Somewhere. Well, but Jen has a nicer hotel room. Although my hotel room has Sophie Jordan in it. It's true. My hotel room just has me, but it also has a little table and two chairs, so it's a good place to record. Anyway, you guys, we miss you. I know. And we miss faces, but I will say this. Yesterday, I arrived, and it's my first time back yeah. in the world. Have you done anything? No, this is not like this. I did an event with Christina... Oh, I did. Yes, I did. But like, I didn't, I wasn't like in a, yeah, it It didn't feel quite so like conferency. So there are 1200 people, I understand at a Polycon. Um, and I really feel like I'm having unprotected sex every time I walk into a room. I mean, I'm masked, and yeah, a lot, and a lot of people are masked. Right, I'm feeling it's, it's very re- nervous. It's masked required, which is so amazing. Like in the event, but when people are in the lobby or elevator, you know, there are other people around. I know some faded mates fans are here because I have been recognized by my voice alone four times already, and this is amazing to me. I have not actually been out that much. Literally, no one cares about me. They just care about you. <laughs> well, I think maybe they just recognize you already, but they hear me talking, and it's really cute. My favorite was yesterday. We are together, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the author, Karen, Karen, who was like, is, and so then Karen was talking about how she was so excited about our sex on the beach episode that she was going to add a sex on the beach scene, and there was a stray man in our elevator. I noticed that too. (laughs) Who was just like, 
trying very hard to seem cool, but was not to hear us. Definitely, like, what the fuck is going on in this (laughs) elevator? And it was amazing. I'm always curious about conference elevator people who are at conferences, romance conferences, when they're not. Yes. People who are just here yes. in Washington, D.C. to, like, Do whatever see the thing. Capitol and not insurrect it. Yeah. And, <laughs> but then they get into an elevator and they're like, what, what is going all on? these women talking about yeah. inappropriateness? <laughs> well, I'll tell you the most inappropriate thing I ever heard in an elevator. One time I was in an elevator at someone else's. Okay, let's times. I don't think any of our listeners are going to be offended by the story because I don't think any of you think this way, even if you are Christian. So this is not a headphones in moment. It's just no, a- but it was, I was at a conference and I was in a hotel where there was a conference, but it was of like ministers or something. And there were two dudes in this, two ministers, two dudes in this elevator and one of them like basically condemned all of the rest of us to hell i mean he was like he was like you know people just think that you can get to heaven through good works but that's not true and you know essentially if you don't believe in what i believe in and was he like preaching to you no like no 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 no. they were just talking to another man and the guy was like oh absolutely like just like these heathens out here and i was like I think I would rather hear about sex on the beach in an elevator than be cursed to hell in an elevator. I think that's very true. Listen, I can't think of a single thing I've heard that's inappropriate in an elevator, and that's because I'm a romance novelist and (laughs) immune to it. Well, you know, maybe someone would, if someone had been plotting the insurrection, that would have counted. I think I probably would have called a person. Sure. But it wouldn't have mattered is what we're learning. (laughs) Anyway, that's the end of that. Last night, though, I will say, we were at Andy (gasps) J. Christopher's. You were not. I was not. Well, let's talk about where we were first because it was honestly amazing. We had the most fun. We did have the most fun. So Mel, who runs the Steambox, and we had an ad for the Steambox on a couple months ago, which is really cool. We put links in show notes. Everyone should check it out. Was hosting. Wait, let's explain what the Steambox is. It's a monthly subscription box, although you don't have to subscribe, but we very much suggest that you do. And each month you get a collection of books or sometimes one. One book. It, I think you can choose, mm-hmm. possibly. And the books are super steamy and also by diverse authors about diverse people. And so, um, and they come with a sex toy. And this is not like a sex toy from the internet, like, made yeah. wherever. This is like a real sex toy. Last night, we got gift bags, and everybody was, like, pulling their toys out, and they were like... <laughs> One person looked at me, I will not name names, and was like, oh, I have this already. Do you want it? (laughs) So we made a trade. Amazing. Um, And it was great. And actually, Mel told me that um, this all came to pass because um, her husband was deployed for a year during the pandemic. And she was reading, it was just her and her romance novels, and she looked up at one point and was like, is nobody around here masturbating? Because like... (laughs) And amazing. We and Nikki Sloan was there and she was like, oh no, we were. <laughs> and Mel was like, we need a box. Perfect. You know, yeah. With great romance novels and great sex toys. So that's the steam box and it's great. And then last night. So last so last night be they sh- Mel was hosting a really cool party for Latinx, like celebrate Latinx romance. And some of our favorite authors were there. So Adriana was there, Priscilla, Mia, I mean Tracy, Andy. I mean, it was like and then so it was a real 
It was a really cool crowd. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so, and it was at this really cool hotel that had a balcony like overlooking the Potomac and Thompson Hotel. If you're in in DC or coming to DC, it has this great rooftop. Yeah, yeah. So we had a. It was it was really fun. So that's a great thing about a Polycon is. Seeing people and when we were walking over, we walked past a Nationals game and a climate protest. You know what? Good times. It was it was great. We had an amazing Uber driver, right? Oh yeah. Listen, I mean you guys, we've had a lot of adventures and we've only been here like twelve hours, but the Uber driver picked us up and she seemed a little discombobulated. Kind of to the point where you're like, is this a good idea for us? It was me and Sarah and Sophie to like jam in the back of this Uber. And the woman then was like, I'm really sorry I'm like this, but my previous client, like literally right now, jumped essentially out of the moving car. (laughs) On a freeway. And she was like, I had to get out and close the door. Like, this woman jumped out of the car and ran off or something. <laughs> Which, you, we do not recommend that do here at Fade of Mains. No, do not recommend. Stay in the um, car. If you have to get out, ask them to pull over for you. But then she told us a great story about how she broke up with her yeah. her boyfriend, Chris, that sure. morning. Yeah. So And was now into women. <laughs> you know what? I'm for it. Me too. I sound like she was going to have a nice time. So we have. We've had a lot of adventures. Sarah is going to be moderating some panels today. I'm moderating a panel with many cool people. Alexis Daria and Mia Sosa and Tessa Dare and Allie Hazelwood and Sonali Dev. Yeah. About brainy babes in romance. Amazing. I mean, I don't think it's entirely about you and me, but. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're going to do signings. And then tomorrow is Faded Mates Live. Can't wait. I can't wait. Eric's coming. Mm, Good time. I told Jen, Eric's not allowed anywhere near this hotel, but he can come to Faded Mates Live. Funny. So. No boys allowed. No boys allowed. Here's what we have today on tap, everyone. So um, we have, we asked some friends, that would be you, to fill out a Google form with some questions. Uh, I don't know if I set it up wrong or someone spammed it because there's like 54 like real responses, but then 10,000 other responses that are just blank. So I don't know if someone like spammed or with like, I have no idea. Ha ha, funny joke. I know. I was like, I don't, Google Forms just is ignoring all of those and showing me the 54. So I'm I'm grateful for cool. their support. And somebody Instagrammed us one, which oh. I have in my brain. All right. Well, you know what? Do you want to, so. Should we do the one in my brain first? We should do the one in your brain first. So here's, I'm going to say a couple things. We have three different types of questions. We have just AMA, like will you ask us anything. We have recommendation ones, although we're going to just pick and choose a few of those. And then we have a bunch of fun. It's a 10. And we're going to do all of those because I think they're hilarious. So maybe we'll start with a couple of those just to warm up, Sarah. Yes. All right. We'll and then and then we'll go to your real question. This one comes from an Instagram account called Romance Novel Quotes. Cute. And it reads, he's a 10, but he tried to abduct and ravish one of your friends. I mean... It's obviously St. Vincent. Sure. St. Vincent the first. Sorry. Oh, excuse me. Jen is a real purist about this. I just... Listen. Here's my... Here's my thing. Oh, boy. Okay. I'm in... It's it's brief. it's fine. I get it. All everybody cares about in romance is whether or not it's a fucking duke, unless it is literally the most beloved man in romance becomes a duke, and everyone's like, no, we can't call him Kingston. We have to still call him St. Vincent. Well... I just think that's silly. He's a Duke now. He's a Duke 
But he was not a duke in this book. When he abducted and ravished Lillian, he was not a duke. Sure. Point of order. I am ashamed to admit he's still a 10. Because it's a romance novel. Oh my god. He's like easily a 12. (laughs) Like, abduction, easily a 12. Immediate points added. Yeah, okay, fair. All right. So here's the thing I will tell you. Because I'm sad to report, because of this 10,000 replies in the Google form, I can see the questions, but I cannot see who wrote them. All right, because, so romance novel yes, quotes, you win. Right, you're you, the only one. Yeah. No, no. So all the rest of you, I, I I, might be able to figure out who you are later, but right now I cannot. That's fine. Because the Google Forms Everybody literally, like, like, I tried to hit the individual items, oh, and no. it was like, are you fucking kidding me? There's 10,000 of these. Yeah, no. I was like, no, they're all blank. Okay. Ready, Sarah? I'm ready. He's a 10, but he doesn't know where the clitoris is. <laughs> He's a zero. He's a, yeah, zero. Goodbye. Go <laughs> get a fucking anatomy to do Listen, better. Listen, give that person a romance novel. Yeah. Right? One, well. And the internet, for God's sakes. Give that person <laughs> hashtag heroes who eat. I really struggle, by the way, with like this, where's the clitoris? The internet exists. It's so does it. It's right there. How can you not find it? I don't know. Maybe it's not always right there. But listen, it is in the year of our Lord, twenty twenty two. Yes, there is no excuse for that. Okay, fair. Agree. Although, I mean, I guess no. If men are watching like terrible porn, I guess sure. I mean, this just feels like it's time for a reading list and also maybe a viewing list. Yeah, right. Sure. Okay. But it's a zero. A laser pointer? Zero. And if you really <laughs> like his personality or whatever, if he has a really nice personality, then maybe a book list. Yes. Okay. He's a seven, but he just can't stop trying to figure out your secret that you're keeping from everyone for self-preservation. I'm sorry. He's a three. Let me have my secrets. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I'm like, no. Too, it's it's too much. Get out of my business. Yeah. This is a plotted real romance novel. What? This person has suggested The Duchess War by Courtney Milan and Never Seduce a Scott by Maya Banks. Have this. Have this. I plot. mean, I like those books. So, yeah. you know. I know, right? See? But, like, maybe he's got great thighs. You don't. I mean, <laughs> I need more information. I need more information. Additional Fair. information needed. Right. He's trying to uncover all my secrets, but he knows where the clitoris is. Ah, now see? See? A Eight. nine. Right. <laughs> All right, this one's funny. He's a 10, but he's still in love with his childhood sweetheart and carries a pet mouse from her in his pocket. Oh. Listen, he pissed me off for a lot of that he book, did. though. He's like an eight. Until he got it together. <laughs> I apparently am rude. I was like, he's an eight. He's a two and a half. He's still in love with his this childhood sweetheart and carrying a rodent around in his pocket. I mean, he does carry a mouse around. I just don't think I could be a fan of somebody who carried a mouse around in his this pocket. This is a reference to Sherry Thomas's. Wait, isn't it also taxidermed at the end? Uh, she does that for him as a gift. It, a lot of that plot was confusing to me. This is Sherry Thomas's The oh, Ravishing the Heiress. Yeah, Ravishing the Heiress. Yeah. It, which is an amazing book. And I had to look up Dor- it, it's a we, Dormouse, which dormouse is not the same. one O. Yes, and I had to look up what this was because I was like, what the? Speaking of, there is a great Twitter thread. Did you see that Twitter thread about Dor- Percy Shelley calling Mary Shelley? Wait, Joy, oh my God. There's, really? We're going to put links to this in the show notes because it's so delish, delicious. But there was a Twitter thread uh, where Joyce Carol Oates and Mary Shelley are talking. And Joyce <laughs> Carol Oates is like, it's so hard for men out here. And Mary Shelley's like, good. <laughs> and then right? it keeps going and Percy Shelley calls her Dormouse. And she's like, what the fuck, Percy? And it's great. It's and really, I want Hollywood to make that. Really, as a really funny. It's great. 
This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Grand Central Publishing, publishers of Farrah Roshan's The Hookup Plan. Sarah, you are going to love this. Tell me. London Kelly is a pediatric surgeon attending her 10th high school reunion. I love it. Not really because she's into it, but because she wants to make sure that everyone else has a good time. And (laughs) it's so pure. I hope she has a good time. I sense she will. She will because she meets her high school arch nemesis, Drew. Yes. Yes. Sparks fly, Sarah, on the dance floor, and then they fly in the bedroom because these two get it on. High school nemeses should always end up banging it out at high school reunions. It should be a rule. Look, bang they do, but you might be wondering, well, what's the catch? That just sounds nice. It's a short Uh story until Mm -hmm. Monday morning when London gets to work and discovers that Drew's new company is auditing her hospital. Oh, no. I know. They're going to have to work together. They're going to have to keep it a secret. It is going to be amazing. Even better, she's going to have to see him in a new light. And herself, too. It's a perfect romance. We are a Farrah Roshan fans here at the podcast, as many of you know, you can get the hookup plan today in print, ebook, or audio wherever books are sold. And we feel pretty confident that it's going to be a good decision on your part. Uh, Thank you to Grand Central Publishing and Forever Romance for sponsoring this week's episode of the show. Okay, uh, here is one from Twitter, just this morning, from Nikki DeMarco. Um, Hi, Nikki. It's a 10, meaning the book, but the werewolves aren't Scottish. (gasps) Why not? (laughs) That's a great one, Nikki. That's a great one. That's awesome. I was like, I don't know. The werewolves aren't Scottish. Listen, can we talk about Scottish werewolves for a second? Okay. Last night, yeah, I was talking to somebody. Who was I talking to? I can't remember. It's already all a blur. <laughs> TikTok. Hey, TikTokers. Yeah. If you're out there and you're a TikToker who is like making big books out of things. What the heck? Why is no one on TikTok discovered IAD? Yeah, I don't know. Right? Doesn't that seem like a thing TikTok should be into? I mean, you would think TikTok would like people rending their own limbs from their bodies. Conrad hacks off his own hands. I mean, we had an entire lost limb count. It was so... Remember that? It feels like there should be, like, a lost limb talk. (laughs) Somebody start it. I'm not starting it, but... lost limb talk. Where we just... It's every day. It's, like, some lost limb from some book. Some book. Some, like, paranormal book. That's the romance novel I want, for sure. Okay. Good um, point. That's, like, a... Probably a seven or eight for me if they're not Scottish. I I am I think they're still a 10. And I'll tell you why. Because I was like, oh. And then I was like, yeah, I like them when they live out in, like, the American West and, like, ride around on their motorcycles, well, too. That's hot. Joe Manganiello from yes. uh, True Blood is, is pretty Is that how hot. you say his name? I Maybe not. I've never how heard him say it. Uh, Joe hot as fuck? I don't. I don't. It just is a string of letters for me. Sure. Because I'm embarrassed. I'm always embarrassed when I say names wrong. So if it, I don't know so how. So you just try not to. Yeah. I just mm-hmm. am like, you know, Joe, that fucking. It's like my husband has never called my mother by any name. He's like avoided. <laughs> Which is kind of amazing if you think about it. That is amazing. That's real commitment. Because like he's just avoided it. He's never called her Mrs. Last Name. He's never called her by her first name. He certainly has never called her mom. And wow. I just think 
he will never. I think we could go an entire lifetime. We full run, the full run, full run show. Mm-hmm. So I admire that. I think it's Mangeniello. Yeah, no, that's but, right. Sure. Now that you say it. Anyway, nice thighs, not Scottish, is a werewolf, and he's a t- he's he's a definite ten. He's like a ten. He is a very handsome man. I'm fine. Well, he's also and does that dance that scene in the Quickie Mart. <laughs> In oh, uh, Magic Mike Double XL, the greatest feminist movie of all time. That, everybody knows I went to see Magic Mike in Vegas. Did I tell this story on the podcast? I don't podcast? think you told it on the podcast. Okay, so I was in Vegas, and um, I re- I was in Vegas by myself. I was there for a conference, a YA conference, and I really wanted to go to a show. Because I was like, it's Vegas, right? You gotta. And here's the thing. My brother Mike said the smartest thing about Vegas. He said... The best thing about Vegas is everyone is there to have fun. Oh, that's right? really smart. Yeah. And he's like, you're gambling or you're going to restaurants or you're going to shows or you're going to the spa or you're going to the pool. But everyone, whatever it is you want to do, Vegas has the best of it. Right? And I was like, that is a you great way to, to think about tower. it. Right. You can do anything. <laughs> you want to ride a gondola? Sure. So I was like, I want to go to a show. Sting, I'm I'm an old. Hey, Sting was there, right? Listen. In in residency. And I was like, I go see Sting. Did and you go see Sting? No. Because then I realized I don't want to go see Sting in Vegas. And then I was like, I go to Cirque du Soleil. And then I was like. I hear that one's really sexy. Sure. But I was like. And then there's something called Absinthe, which also sounded kind of sexy and cool. But then I was like, you know what I really want to do? I want to see something only in Vegas. Like, I want it to be the most Vegas yeah. thing mm-hmm. I can like conceive of. Chippendales. Yes. And so it was Magic Mike Live. And I'm going to tell everybody, if you have the opportunity Which to go. Chippendales for it the was, 2020s. It was honestly so great, though. It's such a great show, like the conception of it. Is it? It's not. Uh, is it a stage play of the movie? No, not at all. But it's like kind of inspired by like the idea, like the feminist idea. That's what made me think of it. So basically, it's like you think it's just gonna be like a regular show where they dance around and her hands been gorgeous. That's nice. But then like a woman gets up and ends up being the MC, and she like kind of tells the whole story about like kind of feminist empowerment. And there's a bunch of handsome men dancing, handsome men dancing around. I love it. And it was. Is there audience participation in the form of screaming? Yes. Well, only because they often pick ladies out of the. There was some of that a little bit, rating but of, yeah, right, right. Oh yeah, like they dance throughout the entire. It's like a in the you know stages in the middle, and it's like seats all the way around, mm-hmm. like a boxing match. Only magic, only That's handsome men in so the. So fun. Yes, women screaming, women outside. I love it. I did think to myself, it's like a fascinating like thing, right? When you're like in a space like that where. The like women audience member. I mean, I don't know. I'm fascinated by like women in mostly women spaces, mm. right? So Where anyway, they feel comfortable. Yeah, and they were like, but like really dressed up, like there to have a good time. Yeah. Some people were clearly on like bachelorette parties. Some, you know what so I mean? Fun. Yeah, it was really fun. It was it was great. Highly recommended. As you were talking, I was realizing that if I had to put together like a feminist double double feature, yeah, it would be. Mad Max Double XL. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. Mad Max Let me say Fury it again. Road. <laughs> it would be Magic Mike Double XL and Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. And those two you would not think would go together, but they really do. Yeah. Well, anyway. I was, think maybe I'd reverse them. So yeah. you get, like, all that rage out, and then you can just release it. Yeah. 
But it was great. It was it was really, really fun. And I was really happy because I was like, this is what I want. And I was worried because at first I was like, I want to go to this, but I don't have a friend. I feel like that is something you want to go to with a friend. So I just made some friends in my conference and then was like, hey, do you want to go with me? And then we went. That's so fun. Sure. Oh, I we- love it. And now are you in each other's weddings? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So, sorry. for You know what? They're here for our digressions. Let's do, you want to do a couple more? This is just a full banter episode. Full banter. Well, let's do, we, there's more <laughs> of these. Some people are like, mm, Well, they can delete. turn it off. You know what? Here's what we're going to do. Let's yeah. do a couple questions. Yeah, and then we it. can go back to some right. and 10. Okay. Here's a good one. Um, someone is looking for a recommendation of Sherlock Holmes, but hot. She loves Sherry Thomas's romances mm-hmm. and Charlotte Holmes. Are there any that combine? Exactly. Like, and I'm, so I'm kind of like. You want Moriarty. Yeah, like historical mysteries. And I was like, and I don't know if it has to be historical, but I think of when I think. Well, Amanda Collins has them, but they're not hot. Yeah, but Amanda Collins, that's a good answer, though. That's a good answer. Amanda Collins is going to deliver that, like, mystery, like, historical mystery piece. Yeah. I have something coming. Is it, like. Is it, yeah, Heartbreaker is no, going to... No, not no. Heartbreaker. The next one. Imogen and Tommy. I'm just it's saying fine. there's a post-it note above my desk that says Sherlock and Moriarty. <sighs> See? Okay, perfect. But that's not coming for another year. There's a Lenora Bell series that might work where uh, it's like kind of spycraft. I don't remember all of the titles, but one of them is like, it's... One of my favorite, all-time favorite historical romance covers, where it's, like, them lying in a field of daisies. Oh, yeah. I love that cover. Yeah. That cover's amazing. But her, like, in one of them, uh, the uncle is, like, a, like a spy master. So the whole series, I think, is kind of spy versus spy. And it's not really quite Sherlock Holmes, but I think it probably would work. There's also, we've talked about this before, but there is, um, Shana Galen has Lord... And Lady oh, Spy. Yeah. yeah. And does a lot of Regency era spy mm-hmm. books, which might which will give you a like Sherlock Holmesy vibe. A yeah. sort of uh, all the heroes have a very sort of Yeah. A vibe. Yeah. Um and then there is a more recent one, which I am struggling to remember the name of, but I will um make sure that it goes into into um show notes it's something like <sighs> suitors and hmm, something okay. suitors and it's like two s words we'll suitors try and, find and it. it's not suitors oh. and spy mistresses but it's something like that okay we're gonna do a couple more of these recommendations i am picking the ones that are like kind of either interesting like this i sometimes people are like oh i'd like enemies to lovers or you know someone asked for silent pining cowboys and i was like well that's really all of them i think so go ahead and just it's not that's sort of the cow- cowboy archetype is yeah not, does not speak right so i for some of those i don't really have recommendations so i'm just doing ones that i think are either funny or um that i think are like mm. a little specific enough or in this case one i'm just curious this person has given very little information so i I think it'll be funny for us to figure out what it is. Ready? All right. This person wants recommendations for quote unquote emotional titty fucks. I'm like, what does that even mean? So first we have to figure out what we think it means and then maybe give recommendations for emotional titty fucks. Emotional titty fucks. Well, first of all, I think we have to decide, does this person like titty fucking? Seems like maybe. Sure. I mean, 
So emotional. I think so. So here's what I would say is, to me. Makes a big mess. (laughs) It's all over your fucking tits now. Okay. (laughs) Somebody's crying on your tits. No, here's here's what I was thinking is, it's going to deliver a very deeply emotional experience, but maybe not in the way you expect. Maybe he gives her a pearl necklace. <laughs> but Jewel's, emotional. Are jewels involved? <laughs> Headphones in, everyone. Uh, well, always. I could be wrong. But I think what she wants is, like, McCreeve brain. Mm. Like, she wants the hero. To just be, like, to be kind of, like, yeah. emotionally, like, I'm yeah. messy. Like, I can't. I can't. I like that. Okay. I didn't. I don't like feeling feelings, and now I'm feeling feelings, and I'm having like I'm just going. I'm just full. spraying them everywhere. Yeah, exactly that. Okay. I'm messy with my feeling spraying. Okay, I love it. All right, and I'm gonna say, and like, look, it's an obvious choice, but if you haven't read Lord of Scoundrels, yes, agree. I feel like Dane's whole journey is <laughs> an emotional titty fuck. Exactly. This is a great recommendation. I feel like I would never, ever say that to Loretta Chase's face. No. I feel like Loretta you, Chase would get Marie McCreeve brain if I said that to her, but that so is yes, what I'm saying. So, yes, if thinking. any of you hear this and know her, you Please can't ever tell her yes, that I said that. This is just a secret. She'll never know. Mm, that's a good answer. But also, like, see, now I'm, all, I'm thinking almost exclusively historicals, though. Yeah. Like, I feel like Lorraine Heath does this to her heroes. Yes, where they're just time. like, mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. I like this. This is a good answer. It's like... It's an explosive, <laughs> it's an explosive feeling moment yes. on the part of the hero for me. Good. Or okay. on the part of the character who is constipated. Yes. All right. I like it. Feeling constipated. Yes. Not. I Stop. Thank you. <laughs> we all got it. Well done. All right. That's a great recommendation. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Blair Babylon, author of Rogue, a billionaire's in disguise romantic suspense novel. This is <laughs> such a fun setup. So our heroine was supposed to have the perfect trip to Paris. Ugh. Okay. She has tickets to Paris with her like boyfriend who is soon to be her fiance. There's a whole plan. He's going to propose at the top of the Eiffel Tower, except he's a loser and awful, and he beats the hell out of Dodge, taking all of her shit and all of her money with her, with him. So she is left with this ticket to Paris, but she's going to go. She's going to go, and she's going to make bad decisions <laughs> through Paris. Um, she ends up on the table in a bar, making very bad choices, and luckily is saved, rescued, if you will, by this six-foot-four-inch, you know, massive, ripped Listen, she deserves dude. nice things. She I does. Mean, she's had a rough week, and this is great. So then she's like, great, let's continue my spate of bad decisions. Come back to my hotel room with me. Except... <laughs> All men lie, and so I just don't want you telling me the truth even once this entire time, which I think is really fun. It is fun. Except he's a royal billionaire. He's literally a royal billionaire in disguise on the run from his own bad guys. So he's like, this is perfect because she will never believe that the truth of my life is actually true. This is brilliant. So i bare my soul to her, tell her all the truth. And she'll never and believe it. think it's made up. Amazing. Perfect. <laughs> This book is free right now. You can run and grab it, snatch it up from any ebook dealer. Yeah, then it will go up uh, in price 
later in the month. It is also available in print, ebook, and in audio. Um, you can listen to the first to the opening scenes of this book at the end of our episode this week. Thank you to Blair for sponsoring this week's episode of Faded Mates. Okay, um, here's one that's really interesting. Books with heroines or heroes who deal with migraines. I read Marrying Winterborn recently and really identify with the heroine missing out on things because she was dealing with a migraine. Doesn't Kate have one? Maybe. Maybe Kate does. Am I making that up? I know in the third book, the the heroine had texting her something. Oh, maybe. You know what? No, wait. Maybe it's the hero in Love Lettering? No. Migraines. I just read something with a migraine. My problem, everybody, also is... Also, Megrims. Yeah, my problem, everybody, is that I am editing now so much that I'm always like, was that a published book or something I was working on? Hmm. This is a good question. There's also an Anne Mallory where the hero gets terrible headaches. Mm. Oh, I just read a Jack Reacher book where he had a concussion and had a lot of headaches. That's what I was thinking about. Not really the same, everybody. Sorry. But it was a good one. Deeply, deeply fucked up as only a Jack Reacher book could be called Make Me. Is that the one that you were telling me about? Yeah. Very fucked up, everybody. Don't just wander into a Jack Reacher book. If you're interested, but he got a concussion because someone clocked him in the head so hard during a fist fight. But I was like, I just read about a headache, but so different. Hang on. Um, oh, yeah. In Best of Luck, Greer gets migraines. Look at me. I win. <laughs> yeah, I would say the third, right? And that's the one, the third Best one. Best of so, yes. Luck. Um, also, I believe that the Anne Mallory book that I'm talking about is called Daring the Duke. And I think he gets migraines. Okay. But if I'm wrong, I'll check that. Check show no- Check the yes. photo grid and show notes, and yes. I will make sure the proper Anne Mallory book gets in. Yeah. But I'm and pretty sure it's Daring we, the Duke. Sometimes uh, the other thing everybody should know is we do this, and then later on books percolate up. Oh, yeah. So make sure you also just check show notes in general, because if we think of a book later, which very well could happen, and we don't put it here right now, we'll put it in show notes later. So everybody should check that. Um... Okay, Sarah, mm. you're going to love this one because it's your favorite. Ready? Touch her and die. <gasps> <laughs> well, okay, you guys. Mm. Oh, touch her and die. There are so many good ones. There are so many good ones. Um, okay, well. I mean, all of IAD is touch her and die, which I appreciate. Adriana is a Caribbean heiress in Paris. I was going to say, right? Yes. <laughs> Uh, the Love Hypothesis is Touch Her and Die, you guys, if you haven't read that. Mm. Um, I do love it. Oh, I love it so yeah, much. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Um, I do feel like you get it more in historical. I feel like, okay, you get it in historical. Yeah, that's why I was so... So right. I only just recently read The Love Hypothesis. I'm behind, like, every other person in the world. And I was so shocked by it because yeah. it's so... It's uncommon yeah, in, contemporary. in contemporary. Well, in a specific kind of contemporary. Yeah, I would say, like, dark romance, I think, has a lot of it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty common. So I think also if that's something you enjoy, then maybe just, like, look for those in your subgenres. But, yeah, Touch Her and Die in historicals is, like, 
Easy, right? Every McLean. Sure. Well, obviously. That's why we love it. <laughs> um, no, but we're supposed to be recommending books that people don't yeah. usually read. So let me think for a second. Oh, you know who's got a great... I've been wanting to talk about this series on Fade Maze, and we'll figure out a way to maybe do... Like, it's a paranormal series. We don't talk a ton about paranormal mm-hmm. series, but Pamela Palmer, who doesn't write anymore, mm-hmm. um, has a paranormal series about shifters and the first book in the series, which is called, basically it's like a, it's, it's a brotherhood of like animal shifters Mm. and there's only one in every generation. So like you have to wait for the lion shifter to die in order for a new lion shifter to, um, be Mm -hmm. reborn. And Pamela Palmer, maybe we'll do a deep dive on this book because it's very fun. The series is The Feral Warriors. Fine. I love it already. And if you (laughs) haven't read it, it's really fun. It's set in D.C. alongside the real world. And they are kind of, like, working to save the Mm -hmm. universe while everything else is, you know, happening. The first book is called Desire Untamed. Mm -hmm. And it has a really good um, touch her and die moment because the hero thinks he can't have the heroine for, like, he thinks the heroine is faded mate mates it faded mates yeah no faded mated <laughs> oh my god weird but sure he thinks the hero the heroine is faded mated to one of the other shifters mm. and so he's like the whole time he's like pulling himself back unemotional titty fuck possibly this book oh yeah um he's that's gonna be our thing now. oh yeah absolutely if this poor person has a different interpretation yeah, you better tell us soon because we've just made it into something of our own officially defined it <laughs> he um he's like very constricted and like yeah. keeping himself from her because he believes she is mated to one of his like brothers yeah and then he it all goes south and there's a great touch her and die moment. You know what is interesting? There is a whole series kind of now, which I am really fascinated by, in mostly an indie romance of essentially like the rejected mate. Mm. And I feel like some of those become emotional titty fucks because essentially, like, so the one I read was by Kate Sewells, and it's like the somebody's heirs like rejected mate. And the way that these books work, and I really like them, is the in the one I think I read a couple of them, so I don't know if this is, is always this the blueprint. By rejected mate, are we yeah. talking about historical? No, I'm sorry, paranormal. Like, yes. Okay. So essentially, in the one I read, which I guess I should look up, uh, Kate Wells rejected mate. Is this Kate C. Wells? Kate yes. C. Wells. Yes. Run, Posey, run. So the one I read was called "The Tyrant Alpha's Rejected Mate," and what happens is like Harlequin presents. Yeah, they're kind of. But what happens is like she real like sort of has a moment where she's realizes her mate is like the leader of the pack or whatever and she's like oh my god you're my mate and he like laughs it off and it's really actually heartbreaking i love that yeah i love that that's a microtope i really love yeah we're mated no we're not no we're not and so then she it's terrible it is really sad right because she like takes off and she's in heat but he's not there and it's really sad and then what happens is he of course figures out uh that i was wrong does he have to grovel hard? Yeah. And it also is, like, my emotions everywhere, like, right? Like, trying to figure out what's going on. So I feel like if you are looking for emotional titty fuck, I, we're back to it. And and also, right, mine, the rejected mate trope is really powerful because she told you 
I'm yours. And he said, no. And then he's like, oh, shit, she is mine, but I'm the fuck up here, which I really like. Mm -hmm. Right? So I feel like that could be a good one to check out, too. I'm back at it. Okay. For it. All right. Um, we're going to say do one more, I think, of these, and then we'll do some AMAs, and we'll go back to It's a 10. That's my plan. Okay. This one's great. I am looking for a book in the style of Romancing the Stone, <gasps> the hero and heroine racing through the jungle and falling for each other. I love the IED books like that, Bowen and Gareth, right? Bonus points for scenes involving treacherous rope bridges or... The hero slicing off the heels of the heroine's completely unsuitable shoes. Oh, my God. All I want is romance novels where that happens. Yeah. This is a reference to, literally, to the movie Romancing the Stone, yes. which I rewatched this summer, and it's still delightful. Eric much. and I were in California yeah. last week, and we went on, like, a – we went to this, like, night – this nighttime light show in Paso Robles, which is in the central – on the central coast, it's like wine country, central wine country. And it was like dusty and a little bit like hilly. And I was trying to choose shoes and I, and I, <laughs> and I literally was like, I could wear heels, but then you might have to hack off the heel. And in the case of, that we were, you know, yeah. outside and you know, on treacherous terrain and, um, he did not get the reference. What? And I, you know, was disappointed. I made a joke once about like the Joan Wilder. And Mr. Reed's romance was like, what? What's that? And, I, and, he, and I was like, in Romancing Stone, when they go up, and the guy says, you know. I'm going to kill right? you. And then he's like, wait, Joan Wilder? <laughs> the Joan Wilder? I read all the books to everybody in the oh village. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. So here's the part that's interesting that I like about this is you're really getting to something that I don't think Sarah and I have talked about all that much on the podcast, but the little preview of the Heartbreaker episode, which is we feel like adventure romance is about to maybe be a thing. And I think we've talked about why. We're always interested in, like, why a trope rises up. And it seems pretty obvious that a lot of this is, you know, we are all stuck inside. And we're now getting sort of pandemic books that people literally were writing when they were trapped in their houses. And mm -hmm. all they wanted was to, like, be out there and do stuff. So maybe talk about Heartbreaker. Definitely, I think, qualifies. And then I have a couple other wrecks. Well, I do want to say this. Do you know, everyone, that Romancing the Stone is, in fact, a romance novel? It is. Um, and it is by a woman named Catherine... Please to hold. Catherine Lanigan, who was a writer when we yeah. were... Oh, yeah. And possibly still is. Um, but she wrote the novel, Romancing the Stone, and it is a fun novelization. Mm -hmm. um, so there is that. There is also Christina Lawrence's most recent book, Something Wilder. Something Wilder is, I would say, of all, like, the Did you out of... say this? I was about to, but oh. have you talked about Heartbreaker yet? Oh, do I have to? Okay. Okay. Talk about Heartbreaker very quickly because we're going to have a Heartbreaker episode. So maybe... Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are no rope bridges or anything, but um, <laughs> Heartbreaker is... So the Hell's Bell series is, was conceived as adventure romance yeah. because I, I, everybody should want to go and have, like, a rollicking adventure during this time when we are, many of us, feeling yeah, still right. very, quite unsafe. Um, and so Heartbreaker's a road trip, and I think road trip romances road trip often romances, give yeah. you this kind of vibe because there's 
a good road trip has like the highwaymen and the broken carriage mm-hmm. wheel and the who knows like what villain runs this in yeah. and like what nefarious things will we stumble upon and who's getting shot in the shoulder and you know yeah all right. those kinds of things um so road trip romance great road trip romance will deliver this vibe to you i yeah. think yeah so something wilder by christina lauren came out in may and i think this is i would say the closest to like rope bridges right there might literally be like a bridge or something <laughs> so they are out in well, the there are certainly cliffs yeah they're out in the desert in utah and they essentially are trying to find a buried treasure and it is a straight up romance novel very much feels like in the same kind of like the humor and the kind of sexiness of romancing the stone but for 2022 um and so that is a really like a pure i would say romance kind of adventure and then another one that is coming out later this fall um is by alicia rye and it is called partners in crime and that is more like a um what's the movie with bradley cooper in vegas like right where they're like you know he goes to vegas and they have that crazy adventure in one night oh the hangover the hangover it has that vibe, like, right? Like, yeah. essentially, pretty much. So, it's not a adventure out in the desert, but it, it well, it is, but in the desert of Las Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's like, you know, there's, like, kind of carjackings, and, you know, they have to play a high game of high-stakes poker to, like, get out of some jam that they're in. So, if you're interested in, like, that kind of adventure romance, mm-hmm. that one's coming out, I think, in August or September. So, put it on your, your watch list. Um, Beverly Jenkins does this really well. Oh, yeah. In, like, all of her historicals. Yes. There's all of her, I mean, obviously, not all of Bev's uh, historicals are adventure romance, but, like, she always has a real sense of, like, the kind of wildness of the world around her couple. Yes. Um, And she has a book, her pirate book. Yeah. Destiny's Captive. Yeah. And that one will really deliver... You know, that is literally, I mean, I think also pirate romances will do, like, anything on the high seas will give this vibe, We'll give that vibe, yeah. Bonus points for a rope bridge. I've got a jungle one. Okay. I don't think there's, and it's like, it's not quite. I feel like a lot of those to me are old contemporaries, and I'd really be like, yeah. This is a a Harlequin Blaze by Marie Donovan. Oh, her last line of defense. Mm. I feel like. It's possible we've talked about this. It's a military romance. The heroine is going into the jungle for possibly not great, like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, like, white savior in the jungle. So, yeah. But it's, whatever the reason is, it's very sort of glossed over. Sure. And her father is a senator or something and basically hires this Green Beret to teach her how to survive in the jungle. So there's, like, jungle sex in that they they go somewhere. They don't – I think they just go into the bayou. Like, I don't think they go to, like – Yeah, yeah. I don't know that we would call the bayou a jungle. I don't – I'm not – I don't know. I'm not a biologist or, like, a – Yeah, right. I don't know about that. But they go into a place that's very green and wet. 
a lot they, of old Elizabeth Lowell's. If you can, if you are, if you can read an older, like old school Elizabeth Lowell, has a lot of them. Like they're going out in the jungle for an adventure. Like there, there's there a whole series, this like Rarities Unlimited, where they're. Oh, I don't rom- know that one. They're like romantic, suspensey, but old, like more romance, more on the romance side. So anyway, I think there's a lot of those. And then if you're, it's not funny, but of course there's the Adriana Anders Whiteout series. Yeah, right. Which is true, like, truly, like, couple against the world yeah, right. kind of stuff. People against nature type of thing. This week's episode of Faded Mates is sponsored by Kindle Vella, publishers of Audrey Carlin's The Marriage Auction. The title tells you everything you need to know. What would you do for $3 million? Faith, Ruby, Dakota, and Savannah are about to find out. They are going to enter a very secret clandestine auction to be married to the highest bidder. This is a real romance classic trope. Uh, I really love this idea. Sure. And there's a couple really cool and secret rules about this particular marriage auction, including once you are chosen by a man... Even if they they will have never met, but they have to marry that man sight unseen. What? There is no going back. Secrets, oh desires, drama, all of it and more in the marriage auction. You may now kiss the bride, Sarah. <laughs> you could get the marriage auction right now in Kindle Vela format. So what that means is you can read the first three episodes of this and any Kindle Vela story immediately for free and subscribe to read the rest. You can find more information at amazon.com slash Kindle dash Vela. And thanks to Amazon, Kindle Vela, and to Audrey Carlin for sponsoring the episode. All right. I have a couple more questions. How about one specifically? Jen is still looking for a book where two people zip their sleeping bags together. Yes. That's we'll just, I mean, uh, just we're gonna just going to say, say it every, every time few, and someone every will Every few times. Yeah. Um, okay. Sarah, I'm going to ask a question that's just for you. And then maybe there's some questions for us. And then we'll go back to it's a 10. How does that sound? All right. Okay. Um, all right. Oh, this is... Okay, this is for us. I would like to know how you prep for an interstitial episode. Vibes. Pure vibes. Pure vibe. You guys, listen. Our brains are just full of books. And we roll in. And sometimes I'll kind of be like, all right, I think I might want to talk about these. We'll think about it. But sometimes we just... Yeah, I usually... I open the notes app on my phone. Yeah. Or, like, I pull out a piece of paper and I just jot down, like, these are the... The ones that come to my the mind. The immediate ones. But then while we're actually recording, there are always more that pop into my head. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, I I know, of like, my favorite part of the interstitial episodes are actually not the book recommending, but the, like, when we talk about why, why? the trope works. Yeah. That's the part that I actually really love thinking about. I mean, yeah. obviously, I love the books too, but the my favorite part is, you know, why do road trips work so well? Right. Like why is everyone doing fake what dating is right now? Yeah. An emotional titty fuck. Yes, that to me is <laughs> yeah. So like that same thing for me. That's the fun part and yeah. that usually happens. And that I'll spend a little more time on. I will But it is like 90% vibes. Oh yeah. Easily. <laughs> Wait, Could be 95%. 95. Vibes. I was like more more vibes. <laughs> 
Well, it's interesting because now that I'm editing, I spend a lot of time, too, thinking about why something doesn't work, right? So if I have a manuscript and I'm kind of like, is this working? Why isn't this working? It's, like, really interesting for me to, like, think about it that way. So I do think that, yeah, I would agree. Like, why a trope works? What are the component parts? What does it have to have? Right? That part is also really interesting for me. Um, Sarah, what's your favorite part about living in a big city? We're both going to answer this since we both live in big cities. I like people. Yeah, me too. And I like how different everyone is. Yeah. And I like how cities show you that all people are very different and all people are very the same. Yeah. I think for me it's a similar answer. Like, I... I remember when someone talked, okay, so I don't like outside. I think I've said this before. And people who like love hiking will sort of talk about the things they look at the same way I feel when I'm just like walking down the street in Chicago, Mm -hmm. right? Like just like, wow, there's so many people and so interesting. And like, like overhearing snippets of conversation, right? Like things like that. Yeah. So I, I, and you know, like I remember once, I was on a a field trip. I had to go hiking with kids. And one of the leaders said, like, look at how many different shades of green there are. And I was like, okay, that's helpful for me. Tell me what to fucking look at out here. It's just a bunch of goddamn plants. Who cares, right? thousand percent. But I know how to look at a crowd of people and think that's really interesting. There's also, for those of you who don't, who don't city. Yeah. And don't know how to city and don't really know why cities are great. Yeah. There is a person on Twitter and in the world. Mm-hmm. Her name is Joy Abea, and sometimes she um, sometimes she tweets with us. Yeah. Um, and I've known Joy for a long time. And she's very much like in the in the romance world. And she does this thing where she she lives, she lived for many years in in New York. And she does this thing where she hashtags photographs always look up. Yeah. And the thing is, is that in places like Chicago and New York, places with skyscrapers, if you are walking down the street and you just stop at any point and just look up at the buildings, there's, the buildings have these beautiful details. There's always like something in windows, like terraces filled with flowers. I mean, there's the, the idea, I think one of the struggles people have when they don't they don't come to a city with like city mindset yeah is thinking like the ground floor yes is all there is but the, no the skyscape yeah. in cities is look really at, yeah. wonderful yeah. and what's fun about having a kid in a city is like sure. teaching them to look up yeah absolutely i'm gonna say one more thing which is last week kelly and i went to the art institute for 25 minutes that's fun. Right? Like, so you belong to, like, your favorite museum. Yep. And there was just, like, one. We went in at members' hours, which are an hour for everyone mm-hmm. else. We, like, blew in. We saw the exhibit we wanted to. Yeah. And we walked out. And that's the other thing is I feel like. There's the, always art. There's yeah, always right. There's always, right. like, something. Yesterday, yeah. we walked to, we walked through a, a Nationals game yes. and a climate protest. To a rooftop bar. It was cool. Rooftop bars are actually what I love the best about cities. There you go. Rooftop bars are very full of people, though, (sighs) sadly. True. Um, (laughs) I love people, but not that many people. (laughs) Okay. Here is one really specifically for Sarah, and then there's one for me that made me laugh. Yeah. 
How do you flesh out your heroes and heroines to be perfect matches for each other? Do they change as you write to better fit each other? No. Oh, tell me more. (laughs) Um, When I start a book, I usually start, you have whatever you start with. I usually start with either the, in this case, right, in this series, it's a heroine-driven series. So each book, I know who the heroines are before I really know very much about the heroes, mostly. Um... Unless I've, you know, put a hero in a prior prior book, like with Bombshell, we knew Caleb already. But um, when I think of a heroine in this case, the hero has to be her obstacle. Hmm. And I don't start a book until I'm pretty clear on emotional conflict. Yeah. So if the heroine has, you know, I don't know, like issues with like one you know an issue with whatever it is like whatever her deep wound is or um whatever her biggest biggest hurdle is he has to be the thing that represents that hurdle Hmm. in a McLean story yeah so obviously they flesh out over the course of a book so I shouldn't have said so like glibly no right obviously they flesh out over the course of a book but he's conceived from the jump but he's conceived from the jump with like very clear a very clear skeleton so emotionally I'm going to return to this when we talk about heartbreaker because that's a great question we can talk more about it when we actually talk about like that book okay I love that but so and then also, I got to say, like, the reverse is almost more true for me. Like, the heroine, they have to be, yeah. they have to be intellectually and emotionally, like, at odds in some way. Like, if one of them is open, the other one has to be closed. Right. right. So, um, and that's because I want you all to get to a point that I always get to in a book, which is, how are these two idiots ever going to How are they going to make it happen? Okay, my question is... Uh, it's funny. Jen, how do you teach, review books, edit, read so much, go to book clubs, record, do show notes, etc.? I have the same question. Do you sleep? No, I am an insomniac. Like, that's real. You know what it is? And this is so I, I think people have heard me say a lot of times I'm not a watcher. Mm-hmm. And I will be really honest. Like, the thing that I, I don't do, not because I don't enjoy it, but I really just don't have time for it, is, is TV. Uh, ready? Uh, He's a six, but he stabs your evil brother through the face on your wedding day to an old gross man that the evil brother sold you to. Uh, He's a 25. Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, yeah. Frankly, that should happen to every person on their wedding day. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Ready? Yeah, amazing. Your future love should vanquish your enemies on On your your wedding wedding day. day. That's a new rule. Yeah. Obviously, make that make it so. He's a five, but he has horns. He's a ten easily. Yeah, I'm like he's still a five. No, but you can steer that. <laughs> I know. I just don't think don't it's very attractive. Um, he's a ten, but I think he, it's attractive. He's a ten. But Justice he, for horns. <laughs> wait, this one's great. He's a ten, but he does not possessively call you mine at some point when you're falling in love. Three. Same. I was about to also say three. <laughs> um, he's a 10, but he prefers high-fiving to kissing in public. Zero. He's a 10, but he prefers high-fiving. <laughs> it would be different if it was like, but he does not PDA. But, like, he prefers high-fiving. No, high-fiving is zero. 
It's not great. Did I ever tell you? Okay, I don't know if this is going to go to the podcast or not. Mr. Reed's romance said to me once, like, really, he, like, needed, he was like, you're a white person and I need your help. And I was like, okay, I'm here to answer this question about my people. I've been waiting for this. And he said, why do white people always want to high five me? And I was like, I don't know. I can't answer that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, He's a 10, but he, oh no, sorry. He's a two, but he has a large scar up his cheek from a duel. Now, here's my question about two. Is When we say two, like, is he a personality two? No, maybe he's just not the most handsome Like man. a visual two. Like, yeah. this is like, okay, visual two, but he's got a scar. He's a seven. He's, I was going to say, like, an easy nine. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, he's a ten, but he calls you by the wrong name. No, zero. A zero. Negative five. Yeah, go away. He's no longer, yeah, he's not anything. Goodbye. He's unrated. Yeah. He's a 10, but he has never brought you the heads of your enemies. Well, he's not a 10 then, yeah. is he? I mean, as we said about, van- see earlier answer about vanquishing your enemies on the wedding day. Someone else asked us about a scar, which I love these people know they us know so us. well. Right? They know. Um, <laughs> he's a 10 and was killed by a gorilla and is actually his twin brother. <laughs> Bless. Gorilla twin equals immediate 20. Okay, he's a 10, but he injured himself during the football or soccer match, and he won't let you console him. Well, he's just a man then, isn't he? No, he's Roy Kent. I know. Roy Kent is a 15. He won't let you console him. He's a 15. I know. Okay. Poor baby. Oh, my God. That scene where, like, oh, Keely comes in and he's sitting. Oh, it's so good. I love you, Roy Kent. Okay, this one's very good. He's a 10, but he never laughs at your cat memes. This is me and Mr. Reed. <laughs> That's romance. me and Eric. I know. Mm. He's nine and a half. He's still pretty cute. He's a five, but he growls when you wear that one dress. Yeah, 10. 10. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, he's a five, but he has to be married to inherit his grandfather's massive estate. He's a five. Seven? Yeah, maybe. I don't care about him. I don't know. You know, I've been watching a lot of Succession, and rich people are really problematic for me these yeah. days. So. Right. Oh, this one's great. He's a five, but he smells like Irish spring soap, oh. leather, and fresh-cut grass. Oh, he's a Kate Claiborne he hero. <laughs> he's a ten for Kate. He's probably an eight for me. Fresh-cut grass. Fresh-cut grass. Why do we have a lawn? I don't like outside. Right. <laughs> Can he smell like an art museum? Fine. Can he smell like an art museum? Yeah. Right? He's a five, but he smells like an art museum. He's a ten. Um, (laughs) He might be a six, but you've crash landed onto an alien planet. He's blue and seven feet tall and wakes you up by going down on you. He's a ten. He's a ten. All right. Uh, Everybody, let's see. We're going to do one more. Oh, she's a ten, but she shot you. She's the best romance heroine of all time. One million. Unrateable because she's so amazing. No man deserves her. That's right. That's right. We love you, Jessica Trent, forever and ever. All right, everybody. There's some more of these that are really funny. We'll put them on Twitter and Instagram. Maybe so, we'll ask them at Faded Mace Live. Well, we're going to save some for Faded Mace Live. That's That'll exactly be what we're going to do. Um, You guys, this is Faded Mates sort of live. I mean, it's Faded Mates live for me and Jen. <laughs> Uh, we, I'm Sarah. I'm here with my friend Jen. You can find us online at fadedmates.net. You can find us on Twitter at fadedmates, on Instagram at fadedmatespod. Thank you to our sponsors for this week for being a part of our amazing fun. 
And as always, the best way for you to support us is to support them. So thanks to Grand Central Publishing, publishers of Farrah Roshan's The Hookup Plan, Blair Babylon, and Audrey Carlin and Kindle Vella for sponsoring the episode. Oh, and don't forget that if you stay tuned after this, you'll hear the first three chapters of Blair Babylon's Rogue. And let me tell you something, y'all. If you haven't put your headphones in yet, now's a good time. Enjoy. This is Rogue, book one of the Billionaires in Disguise, Maxence series. Written by Blair Babylon. Narrated by Lucy Rivers and Shane East. Chapter 1. Bad Decision. Dree. Dree raised her shot glass high above her head to toast the gilded Buddha towering over the nightclub. She shoved all the air from her lungs through her throat and screamed with her whole body at the people yammering over the techno music and each other. I'm gonna fuck every man in this bar tonight. The crowd roared its approval amid laughter and raised cocktail glasses that glinted in the dark nightclub's spinning lights. Their faces and gaping open mouths swam through the air as Dree bobbled where she was standing on top of the chair. Dree tossed the remaining tequila into her mouth to seal the deal, and the liquor sent acrid fumes up her nose to mix with the aromas of roasting meat, sizzling ginger, beer, wine, cocktails, and people becoming sweaty from dancing in an overheated nightclub. She swallowed the tequila hard, because her stomach was already raw from three earlier shots of tequila, plus even more cocktails. Dree raised both her arms and screamed, Woo! Thus becoming a woo girl for the first time since college. Dozens of men and women wooed back at her, so she waved her arms and wooed some more. It felt great. Yeah, she was a frickin' woo girl tonight. God damn it, she totally was. She had, literally, nothing left to lose. Two waitstaff came over and scolded her in French, too rapid for Dree to comprehend, both because she was drunk and because college French had been a few years before. They were definitely wagging their fingers at her and pointing at the floor, though. The seat of the bar chair she was standing on slid sideways under her feet, tilting her. She caught the back of the seat right before she fell off. One of the servers grabbed Dree's hand as she stumbled, and she allowed herself to be helped down from her perch. The seat jittered and swiveled as she held on to the back and found the floor with her toes, trying not to drop the shot glass she held in her left hand. The last thing she needed was to add broken glass to the mix. As she held on to the bar stool and eased herself down to standing on the wobbling floor, she thanked the waiters, who sighed visibly at her but walked away, letting her stay in the club. Good. The point of the evening was not to get thrown out of the Buddha bar in Paris. The point of the evening was... Well, she just proclaimed it to the room. Dree plunked her butt back on the bar chair and glanced around. Lights spinning in time with the techno dance music dazzled her eyes. The crowd had already forgotten about Dree's statement of purpose and gone back to yammering and yelling over the music and each other as they tried to talk their way into each other's pants. The petite woman, who had helped Dree stand up on the bar stool seconds before, rolled her eyes. Dichere. When your nickname is Dree and you take college French, 
you learn real quick that dichere means plaster drunk. Yeah, she was wasted, and had just announced her sordid intentions to the bar. And why not? Quite literally, Dree had nothing in the world left to lose. Dree shook the last few drops of tequila from the shot glass into her mouth and set it on a cocktail napkin that was covered with black, feminine handwriting. Only some of it her own. Right away, she realized her mistake and moved the shot glass back onto the wooden presentation tray, and she shook out the napkin and blew on it, drawing the one dot of liquid blurring a line that formed the bottom of the P in Nepal. Ruining that napkin would be a disaster. Dree folded it carefully and tucked it into her tiny clutch purse, because it was her bucket list, her guiding light, for the rest of her life that she had screwed up so badly because she trusted the wrong guy, the so wrong guy, the wrongiest of all the wronginator guys. She was so screwed. But tonight, she was having one last drink in the Buddha bar in Paris, and then she was going to fuck all the guys in the nightclub, or at least a fair number of them. It said right there on that napkin that was now safely in her purse that she needed to have a one-night stand with a beautiful man whom she'd never see again, or to have a threesome, or to have a foursome with three guys, or a gangbang. All those debaucheries were listed right there on the napkin, so she pretty much had to do them, right? Yes, yes, she did. Maybe she should write a book about that someday. The Guidance of the Napkin. It could be about how people could change their lives by meeting random people in bars and following their drunken advice written on a napkin instead of following what they were supposed to do. Doing what you were supposed to do in life led to pathetic betrayals from people who were supposed to love you and complete destitution. So that couldn't be right. Dree was living proof of that. She had lost everything she'd owned, absolutely everything, because she'd loved and trusted the wrong guy. Because Dree had no frickin' judgment when it came to people. So she needed to stop being such an idiot and screwing up her life. Following the list on the napkin sounded like a great idea. Lots of ideas sounded great when Dree was dichere, drunk off her ass. But she was going to do at least one of those things on the napkin tonight. Rivulets of men trickled through the thick crowd, edging toward her. That's what she damn well wanted, wasn't it? Men. Many men. All the many, many, many men. And yet... Dree glanced down the bar in the direction of the enormous Buddha statue that loomed over the partying crowd and saw the man who was leaning against the bar two seats away from her. The woman who had pronounced Dree Dichere and one other guy separated him from Dree. That gorgeous man, whom Dree had noticed a few minutes earlier, looked up at her, as if he had felt her eyes on him. He hadn't yelled with the rest of the guys when she'd announced her challenge. Even now, his expression wasn't precisely startled, but a tight weariness had entered his dark eyes, and his athletic stance as he leaned on the bar, holding an amber drink with ice in a highball glass. When the man had arrived a few minutes earlier, Dree had noticed him as soon as he'd touched the bar, a few people away from where she'd been sitting. She was pretty sure half the people in the Buddha bar had watched him cross the room and order a drink, before they broke his spell and went back to their own, now-troubled conversations.
but they were still sneaking glances at him. The tall man had smiled easily when he ordered a drink, his gaze serene while he surveyed the crowd. He was really tall, too. His head stuck up above everyone else's like they were a black and blonde ocean, and he was swimming with his head held high out of the waves, lest he soak his dark, curling hair that swayed over his forehead and neck. He looked like he was a white guy with a tan. Or he might be olive-skinned, like from somewhere near the Mediterranean Sea. Something about him made her feel like a fish drawn to an irresistible lure. When he twisted, turning toward Dree, his white T-shirt pulled taut over his broad, muscular chest and shoulders. The pristine cotton clung to the rounds of his massive pectorals, the ripples of his abdominal muscles, and his obliques that cut diagonal slices from the ribs to the waistband of his trousers. Oh, somebody worked out. Dree had to respect the time in the gym, even though she did not go to the gym nearly as much as he obviously did. Or ever, really. The hospital where she worked had a gym, and she had been meaning to start going there for three years. The man's dark dress pants contrasted oddly with his plain white tee, which looked like it might be an undershirt. If it had clung to his skin any more tightly, she would have thought he had just won a wet t-shirt contest. She could see every one of his eight-pack of abdominal muscles, even those top ones nestled under his packs. Just... Wow! When Dree leaned back to observe the guy's backside, his legs were long and thick with muscle. Between his incongruous clothes, tousled black curls, and sleepy blinks, the guy looked like he left his suit jacket, shirt, and tie on someone's bedroom floor and sauntered into the bar for a drink. That man could throw his clothes on Dichere Dree's floor any time. She was so drunk. This was not like her, but tonight, anything seemed possible. Everything seemed possible. She wanted to touch him. The tequila shot she'd sucked down made her body feel languorous and heavy. And she wanted a tall, strong, sexy man to touch her, drive her backward with the warmth of his male body, and move above her and inside her with slow, sinuous thrusts, his faint, masculine musk surrounding her and driving her out of her mind. The deliberate way that man lifted his drink to his mouth, when he touched the highball glass to his full lower lip before he tilted it, the liquid flowed in and he swallowed, made Dree think he would be incredible in bed, that he'd take his time, that he'd know what he was doing to her. The inside of her mouth watered like she wanted to lick him, and he was still staring back at her, his dark eyes serious and almost wary. He took the glass away from his mouth like he was stripping off his shirt for her to see his naked flesh. Dree was leaning so far toward him that she nearly fell off her chair. A new guy inserted himself into her view, jamming himself into the narrow space between Dree and the petite, judgy woman sitting next to her. Dree looked up. The new guy's red silk shirt was unbuttoned to his waist, exposing a thatch of black chest hair. Bonsoir. Uh, yeah. Hi, Dree said. You called for volunteers? The guy asked with a strong French accent. 
Uh, about that, Dree said, leaning back in her seat in retreat and gripping an empty shot glass. She should not have stood on her bar chair and announced that. The napkin said to do something that she might regret later, but she regretted yelling that right now. Another guy moved up to stand beside the first. I heard you say you were going to fuck every guy in the bar. She examined the shot glass in front of her instead of meeting his eyes. I sure did say that. So you didn't mean it when you announced that you wanted to fuck every guy in the bar? Maybe announcing it was a bad decision, she admitted. Two more guys crowded around her chair. Allô, my sweet. Is this party full, or am I just in time? Another guy with a New York accent said, I'm not taking sloppy seconds. I want to fuck a mouth, and I want to go first. Whoa! Dree said, leaning back, her feet scrambling for the footrest bar to shove herself backward in her chair. Slow down, dudes! More men stepped up, forming a knot around where she sat, boxing her in. A gravelly voice asked, Is this where I redeem my one free fuck coupon? Another said, She's fat tails and she looked. Hey, Dree said, getting pissed. Another man reached for her as he said, I want to fuck her tits. I get off on tits. You want to be un chou à la crème. He was asking if she wanted to be a cream pie. She slapped his encroaching hand. Ew! He didn't seem so finicky before, an American guy said. Sounded like you wanted to be the slimy center of a circle jerk. Yuck, jeez, you guys, back off. You said you wanted all the men, another guy said in halting English. The group tightened around her. Their heat reached her, making the air damp with their sweat. Tremors filled her arms. A strong hand grabbed her boob. Nice tits. She shoved at the man's arm, knocking him back, but more hands were reaching for her. She clutched her little purse to her chest like the tiny scrap of pink leather could shield her. Stop it! Are we going to do this here, or outside in the alley? One of them asked. Another hand dove between Dree's thighs, and she clamped her legs together and punched at the arm and face connected to it. The shaking in her arms racked her whole body. There were too many of them. Too many hands. And all were too big and too strong. Leave me alone, she begged them. More hands, more leering faces. More hands and bodies coming at her and trapping her. Stop! Jesus Christ, just leave me alone! Movement from behind the guys. Rumbling. A few of the guys' heads swiveled left as something drew their attention, and their eyes widened. Large, strong hands appeared over the wall of her attackers and grasped their shoulders. Their attached bodies flailed and flopped aside. The cluster of men fragmented, like a rotting seawall broken apart by a rogue wave. Men's voices yelled as the barrier they'd made themselves into was ripped apart. A tower of white cotton and muscled flesh reached the ring of guys and rose in front of her. Scents of mild soap, and a fresh masculine aftershave emanated from the white t-shirt and the mountain of a man standing there and facing away from her. One of his arms reached back to shield her, and the other shoved outward, pushing the guy's shoulders and forcing them to stumble backward. The man's deep voice said, in British-accented English, 
Back away. The lady said she wanted to be left alone. The other men crowded around them, shrank backward, like they were melting wax in the hot sun. Dree's heart thrashed in her chest. She was struggling to suck air because the room seemed to have fallen on her. The only thing holding back the wreckage was the huge man looming in front of her, protecting her from those men intent on... rape. Intent on rape. Dree knew what would have happened to her, and people would have said that she deserved it because she'd yelled such a thing and the whole bar had heard it. But the man was holding them back. Her heart fluttered as it settled. She was still shaking from her skeleton to her skin. The man twisted, looked down at her, and asked, Are you all right? Up close and looking down at her like that, his chiseled cheekbones and jaw seemed more pronounced, and his large dark eyes had grown more intense and filled with points of light. He had a straight masculine nose, and his dark curls swept forward and framed his face as he bent. He looked like a statue of a Roman god, or a sculpture by Michelangelo, that had come to life and twisted to stare down at her. Shock at his pure male beauty flooded her, and it felt like something between a tremor of magic and abject worship of a divinity that had materialized in front of her. Are you all right? He asked again. By all the saints, the man had a refined British accent, too. That was just not fair. It was like he'd scooped up all the masculine perfection in the world and left none at all for the other guys. Dree was pretty sure that every man she met for the rest of her life would seem watery, weak, and spineless, and they would all talk funny, too. The man turned a little more toward her, peering at her face. You're not all right. Let's get you out of here. He grabbed her hand and tugged, and she stumbled off the bar chair. The flesh of his hand was hard around her fingers, like he had thick calluses on his palm and fingers. Her legs wouldn't hold her, and she felt like a newborn lamb trying to not fall on its face in the straw and failing. His firm grip on her arm hauled her up, and she knew her stupid face was slack with numb confusion at the squawking of the people crowding around her and the whirling disco lights and beeping techno music. When she breathed, the tequila from her mouth mixed with the exhaled breath of too many people packed into the room, and she was suffocating. The man held her up by her upper arm and half-dragged her a few steps. She was trying to follow him, but her legs would not cooperate. Her limbs tripped and splayed at bizarre angles as the music and screaming beat on her ears. The man wrapped one arm around her, holding her up around her back. She frog-flopped one foot in front of the other, staring at her white ballet-flat shoes, and he hustled her out of the Buddha bar's front doors. She stumbled out of the bar and into a wall of ice. Freezing air slapped her face and sweaty skin. Clammy cold crawled under the red fabric of her skin-tight dress and sucked the heat out of her. Oh! What is it? the man asked. The cold stung her cheeks and arms, rousing her from her drunkenness. It's so cold, she said. I left my coat in there. We are not going back in, he said, his deep voice spreading out in the night air. But my coat. You can get it tomorrow. Someone will take it, 
she said. You'll be fine. The icy air sucked the heat out of her flesh and chilled her to the core. It's December, and I need a coat. The man whirled something black through the air that had been hanging over his arm. He said, It's not even that cold out here. The air stung the inside of her nose, and it hurt to breathe. It totally is. It's freezing. How do you Europeans stand it? He looked down at her as he settled his black leather jacket around her shoulders. Where are you from? Arizona. One corner of his mouth turned up in a half smile as he adjusted the jacket's collar. One of his fingertips brushed her neck, and a shiver flew through her. That explains it, he said. This is a chilly fall evening for Paris. It's a little fresh. Dries shoved her arms into his jacket, pushing her small purse down the sleeve. Of course his coat must be roomy, to accommodate his thick, muscular arms and broad chest. The inside of his jacket was still warm, and the lining was smooth on her bare arms like it might be silk. She wrapped her arms around herself and shivered as a hint of the warm spice and dark scent of his cologne rose out of the collar and brushed her face. Thanks. I do need to get my coat, though. That bar isn't a safe place for you right now. You can see if it's still there tomorrow. She blurted, I can't afford to buy another one. I have to go back and get it. One of his shoulders twitched, a gesture of dismissal, and he blinked and glanced off to the side from under his thick eyelashes. If you promise not to go back in there tonight, I will buy you any coat you want. Oh, you don't have to do that. Her instinctive pushback to anyone helping her popped out of her mouth before she could even think. She didn't want to be a bother. I promise, he said, his smile becoming easier. Any other problems I can solve for you? She wasn't going to tell him. She was a grown woman of 25 years old and didn't need anyone to solve her problems for her. No. Then smile for me. Smile? Before you made that ridiculous pronouncement that you were going to screw every man in the bar, fuck, I said I was going to fuck every man in the bar. She was supposed to fuck somebody tonight. There was a reason she was supposed to do that. If only she could remember why. Yes, you did say that. But before you announced it at the top of your lungs whilst standing on a chair... You had the funniest, most joyous smile I'd seen in a long time. You kept giggling to yourself as you looked at a piece of paper. It's a cocktail napkin, Dree said. Some of the silly insanity on that napkin crept back, and she smiled. Yeah, the napkin had told her to do that. She needed to check the napkin for what else she needed to do. But she needed to sleep with at least one guy tonight, or else she would never get even halfway through the bucket list on that napkin before she left Paris. That's better, the man said, and his smile grew too and reached his eyes. She had been amazed by his looks and his eyes in the club, but his smile was even more dazzling. He lifted her chin with one finger, still smiling. More. More what? 
Her eyelids felt heavy, and her lips seemed clumsy and swollen. His voice dropped to a more seductive octave, and a hint of breathiness crept in. More smile. Give me more. It was such a silly request that she laughed at him. The tequila that was still in her stomach was flowing into her blood. They called that crap liquid courage for a reason. That's better. Now, let's take you back to your hotel. He steered her toward the street. Hotel? But, wait. She was supposed to be in a bar living an awesome life. That woman had told her to. How do you know I'm a tourist? His chuckle was an explosion, like, <laughs> No, seriously, how'd y'all know I'm not a worldly Parisienne? He glanced down at her. Just a hunch. Come on, let's get you a cab. She tried to follow him as he walked away, but her toes dragged because she was still dead-ass drunk. He caught her as she flopped forward and set her back on her feet. She said, I could totally be a worldly Parisienne if I wanted to. Of course you could. What cab service did you use? Or maybe one of the ride-sharing ones? She told him, I rode the subway here. It's late, and I don't think you should take the metro. I don't trust you to get off at your stop. I'm fine. I'll be fine. Come, what taxi service should I call? I can't afford a taxi, she blurted. He stopped and frowned with confusion, peering at her, but then shook his head. All right, then I'll send for a taxi for you. I'll take you back to your hotel. I'm staying at a B&B, &B, not a hotel. His shoulders drooped, and he closed his eyes. So there isn't a concierge who would help you up to your room? No, it's an apartment I rented by the night. His chin dropped, and he heaved a sigh. His phone was in his hand, and he tapped the screen a few times. I'll drop you off and make sure you're inside all right. Come on, let's not dawdle. I've got places to go, or I should have places to go. What's the address? She fished a slip of paper out of her clutch purse. Here. He blinked at it. That's in Seine-Saint-Denis. Yeah, that's it. That's what the ad said. He paused again, his lips tightening. It's far into the northeast districts. It's probably better that I escort you nevertheless. The sidewalk undulated under her feet, and she bobbled sideways. He caught her again. Why? It seemed fine. It's unusual to see tourists there. I would be concerned that you might be taken advantage of or accosted. Bah! Dree said, her hand flailing around to show her disdain at his wussiness. He sidestepped as her forearm whizzed past his shoulder. I live and work in the Alhambra district in Phoenix, dude. Nothing in Paris scares me. That B&B just kind of reminds me of home, but fancier. The man waved his phone in the air, and a black car cruised to a stop in front of them. Right, then let's get you locked up tight, shall we? You don't have to take me home, she told him. The sidewalk still crested under her feet like fluffy ocean waves bobbing a small boat. I don't want to go home.
I haven't accomplished anything on that napkin. That napkin is going to change my life. I'm going to do everything on it starting tonight. I'm going back in there to get a guy and bang his brains out tonight. Dree handed his coat back to him and stalked off, trying not to fall over because the sidewalk kept rolling like ocean waves when she walked. Chapter 2 Worst Decision Maxence The voluptuous blonde staggered away from Maxence into the darkness, back toward the Buddha bar. Her hourglass figure swayed in her scarlet dress as she minced along, a feast of feminine flesh that he had already been imagining sinking his fingers and teeth and dick into. And then there were those fingernails, just long enough, femininely oval, and a brilliant shade of red that matched that dress. But he wouldn't touch her. She was too drunk, and he did not take advantage of women. He didn't need to. Unfortunately, other men would, and eagerly. Laughter and music from the Saturday night crowd in the bar followed the path of light leading from the open doors and spilled into the night as she neared the entrance. Once she went in, he wouldn't be able to rescue her again, not with all those men who would certainly take her up on her offer, even if she became unconscious in the meantime. There'd been four empty shot glasses on her wooden tray, and he didn't see anyone she'd shared them with. Half the guys in that bar wanted to fuck her, and would be fine with rape if that's all they could get. The other half wanted to rob an American tourist. A part of Maxence warned himself that he shouldn't get involved with the blonde's bad decisions. That little voice scolded him that the woman was clearly an adult, and he should not interfere with her agency and her life choices. It reminded him that he'd interfered in a woman's life only the day before, though that had been at her request, and then her mafioso husband had threatened to cut off Max's head and feed it to the sharks. He would help Simone again in a heartbeat, though. He did not regret that choice for even a moment. But tonight, within minutes, this pretty and very drunk little woman in the red dress was going to be surrounded by leering predators, unless Maxence intervened. He knew what those predatory men would do, given half a chance. He'd saved dozens of women from men just like them. Indeed, over by the corner, a group of men had paused and were watching them. They weren't the types who would ordinarily be in the club, though. They appeared older, mid-thirties, and seemed to be moving oddly, like they had the weight of weapons under their coats. Max should get in the car and leave now. His heart raced, and the air hurt his chest. Red, twinkling Christmas lights adorned the trees. A shop across the street had a Father Christmas in its window. Evergreen boughs looped around the streetlights, the cafe's signs, and the wrought iron railing. Cars whizzed by on the street, their tires crunching on the asphalt. The Buddha bar vented the smells of roasting meat, garlic, and ginger into the cold air. The blonde woman paused at the doorway and looked back at Max, the fluff of her blonde curls blowing in the breeze. In his hands, his jacket was still warm from her soft, curvy body. It was that last look over her soft shoulder that got to him. The taxi waiting for them on the street rolled down the passenger-side window to talk. 
Maxence said to the driver in French. Wait one minute, if you please. My date forgot her code. The guy started arguing, but Maxence said, Just one minute, and ran after the woman. She was still watching him as he hurried toward her. I say, you there, Maxence called. He didn't know her name. How could he not have gotten her name? You, little girl there, wait up. I am not a little girl, she told him as he jogged up and held out his coat to her. I am a grown-ass woman. She was exaggerating her words drunkenly, slurring, and it was funny as hell. Of course you are a grown woman, but a very drunk one. She gesticulated wildly, her arms flying through the air. And I'm going to fuck every man in that bar. Oh, we're not on that again, are we? Yeah, we are. I'm going to have a gangbang, or a foursome with three guys, or a threesome, or at least a one-night stand with a beautiful man whom I'll never see again because the napkin says so. She shook her purse at him. You will. You will do all these things because a napkin demands it of you, he asked, hammering his point home. That wasn't the only thing he wanted to hammer home, and he forced himself to drop that line of thought. Yes, she said. Have you ever done any of those things? All of them and more, though mostly with women instead of men, but that was none of her business. The gangbang had been Maxence and twelve women. That's immaterial. Why would you blindly follow everything written on a napkin? Because I have to change my life. I'm stupid and gullible and pathetic, and I have to stop. I have to be something else. I have nothing left. Nothing So I cut my hair and got on the plane to Paris because I'd never been to Paris or London or anywhere ever in my whole life. At least I'm going to have this night, this one night, this one night in Paris to remember for the rest of my life. It occurs to me you may not remember much of it, Max mused. He was still watching the group over by the street lamp, and they were still watching him. The lamplight shone like a yellow crust on the big guy's white skin. The little blonde said, And if I have to fuck every guy in this place to change my life, I will. She was drunk adamant and sounded desperate, so he needed to drunk argue with her until she came around. You want to get laid at any cost, and yet you're walking away from a man who wants to take you home tonight. Where? she demanded, throwing her arms to the sides and nearly stumbling again in her vehemence. Right here. Max wasn't sure how much longer he could keep this up. Me. Right here. Nuh-uh, she said, her head hanging and wagging. You're a ten, and I'm a six when I have on wedding makeup, and it's a good hair day. And I don't have any of that. I used a Sharpie marker for mascara. He took a long look at her, 
allowing himself to savor the view of the roundness of her breasts and hips, her narrow wasp waist and her full thighs, stretching that bright scarlet dress that drew him like a waving red flag. Max's friends had warned him, many times, that he had a bad habit of getting involved with women who were ragged bundles of waving red flags. He smiled as he allowed himself to thoroughly enjoy examining her lush body, the swells of her visible in the street lamp's glow. To be any more form-fitting, that dress would have had to have been painted on. I don't think you're a six, she argued. A guy like you wouldn't want a woman like me. Only a pathetic loser would go home with me. I could never get a guy like you. Pure frustration and her inebriated illogic, and the fact that she would not get in the damn car so he could take her someplace safe, broke his willpower. Max grabbed that blonde with the spectacular tits around her bendy waist, yanked her against himself, and kissed her until she melted in his arms. Her mouth opened in surprise when his lips crashed down on hers, and he took the opportunity of her parted lips to stroke his tongue over hers. She was a limp drunk in his arms for a second or two, and then she came alive and wrapped both her arms around his neck, kissing him back and sucking at his lips. She twined one of her curvy legs around his thigh. Desire raced through him. Maxence was all too easily tempted, and this amorous, soft, yielding woman was his favorite kind of temptation. Her mouth tasted of tequila and vanilla peaches. He wondered vaguely if she'd eaten dessert, or whether that was just her, and he wanted to nip her skin to find out. He reached one hand lower, feeling the curve of her hip in his palm, and then pressing all of his fingers around one overflowing globe of her arse. She gasped against his mouth. Shit! Grabbing her arse had been too much. He lifted his head. Her eyes were misty, as drunk with desire as she was with tequila. Seriously? A guy like you? And me? His whole body was responding to her, and the impulse to fight a man and then take her vibrated in him. His voice had dropped lower when he rumbled. Let me take you home. And you're going to fuck me, she demanded, her voice low like she was exacting a promise from him. Odd. He'd always thought of Americans as rather puritanical when talking about sex. Your job, they'd natter on about for hours. They were obsessed with work, again, due to their Puritan founders. But sex? He'd seen grown women sputter and refuse to discuss what they wanted— not that he was any better about his darkest desires that he never admitted. Yet the woman seemed to want an assurance, so he leaned over and whispered near her ear, his breath puffing her gossamer hair. Yes, I'm going to fuck you until you scream and can't move with exhaustion. She paused, but then turned away. No, you won't. He tucked her hand back and caught her in his arms. I will fuck you in ways you haven't dreamed of. I'll be your sure thing for the night if you will just get in the damn car. She drew back and examined his face, seeming to look for signs that he was serious, and then took his hand and walked toward the cab. He dropped his jacket around her shoulders again and hustled her into the back seat of the cab, 
handing the driver the little paper on which she'd written her address. The guy looked at the paper. You are sure this is right? Yes, she's rented an apartment there. If you say so. The taxi drove through the Parisian night, speeding on expressways and making quick turns on city streets. The woman snuggled against his side, and her alcoholic breath warmed his neck. He'd kept one arm around her in case she passed out and flopped over, but her fingers roamed over his T-shirt, tracing his hard-won musculature. None of that had been built in a gym. There had been no gyms for miles where he'd been living for the past several years. The driver turned the steering wheel, and the car coasted to a stop at a dingy building emblazoned with neon-coloured graffiti in at least three alphabets. The part of town didn't alarm Maxence any more than it had her, though some people might have hesitated to venture into District 93, as the French Social Services Ministry euphemistically called it. Max had lived in much more impoverished and violent areas of the world for most of the last few years. The driver asked, You sure this is it? Maxence jiggled the little blonde with his arm. This is it, ma chérie. She turned and blinked at the building. Yeah, this is it. I'm on the third floor. There's no elevator. You okay with three flights of stairs? He almost retorted something, but she was obviously an American. Most Europeans and Parisians didn't balk at climbing a few flights of stairs. Yes, that's fine. Let's go then. Max added a tip on his phone for the cab and thanked the driver who sped away as soon as Max slammed the car door. It was very late at night, past midnight, and several of the street lamps farther down were broken. The cement-block buildings faded away into the darkness, and few trees had found root in the paved-over landscape. Window boxes shadowed the barred windows. In the daytime, those might have some greenery. The woman was fumbling with keys for the iron-barred security door to the building, her aim for the lock left much to be desired. When she dropped the keys for the second time, Maxence scooped them up, picked out the key, and twisted it in the lock. The whole door clicked as bolts retracted, and Max breathed a sigh of relief that this was indeed her address. He did not particularly like standing on this road in the dead of night, illuminated by one street lamp, when other people were moving in the shadowed parts of the rutted street. He opened the steel door inside the security gate, and they were inside a hallway illuminated by a bare bulb in the ceiling. The woman leaned against a wall and stared up at him. You haven't run away yet. Why are you so worried about that? Tonight is the first night of the rest of my life, she said with a heartbreaking choke in her voice. I don't want to fuck it up. He reached for her again and pulled her into his arms, feeling the delicate narrowness of her waist and the softness of her flesh. He shoved her up against the wall and kissed her hard. Her mouth opened under his, and she ensnared him again with her arms and one leg. This time, she had a wall behind her, and he ground upward with his thigh, rubbing her. The blonde moaned, and it was a soft and sexy sound that tightened his groin. He growled. Where are the stairs? She flopped her hand toward the hallway, and he reluctantly lifted himself off her, 
far enough that she could slip out and lead him to yet another locked stairway door that he navigated the keys for. Max held her tiny hand while they climbed the three easy flights of stairs. She was so intoxicated that she'd had trouble walking from the nightclub to the cab, but she managed the stairs all right. The blonde was definitely drunk, but she'd navigated the stairs well enough. He knew she was going to be on him like a vine as soon as her door closed. His dick felt heavy and pulling in his tuxedo pants. He did not have sex with women who were too drunk. He didn't like a dead lay in the slightest anyway. There was nothing exciting about a woman who didn't scream his name and flay the skin off his back with her fingernails. An image of her scarlet-painted fingernails drifted through his mind again, and he needed to adjust himself through his pants pocket because his underwear was dragging on it. But anyone who could climb stairs unassisted and without tripping was not dead drunk. He considered that thought. She wasn't dead drunk. Had she been faking it? And why? Wariness crept into his mind. He wasn't afraid of the tiny blonde. He was pretty sure he could snap her slender neck or wasp waist if she attacked him, but she might be leading him into a setup. Lots of desperate people trolled the Parisian bars, looking for an easy mark to isolate and rob. Some of them were organized enough to lure a man to a second location with a honeypot trap. The neighborhood was the red flag. Blue painted door, yellow stain on the white paint down the hall, charcoal grey industrial carpeting under his black formal shoes, a man shouting behind one of the doors, the rustle of the blonde's clothes as she walked beside him, the sour smell of humid mould in the walls. The blue paint on her door was peeling. One of the three locks spun when he twisted the key, broken. Maxence pushed the door and let it swing open. Inside the room, the darkness was silent and still. Pale light from a window touched square objects with grey lines. If conspirators were hiding in there, they were doing an excellent job of not moving, speaking, or breathing. Maxence flipped on the light switch by the door without walking inside. Just a bedroom, done in blue, white, and yellow. The air smelled fresh enough, a mild hint of lemon and lavender. A small kitchen area had been built into one corner with a coffee maker, countertops, and a refrigerator underneath. A high white-painted iron bed with a slightly sagging mattress and a blue coverlet stood in the centre of one wall. It had long legs for storing luggage underneath. White lace curtains surrounded one window, and an air-conditioning unit jutted from the other. The walls were painted the same sunny yellow as the faded rugs on the blue cement floor. Okay, no thugs. It wasn't a trap. A memory of a small place and the scent of salt water assailed Maxence, and he shut it out, hard. Nothing about the room seemed personal. Indeed, it looked exactly like a substandard efficiency apartment purchased by an investor and rented out over the internet to tourists who didn't know the shadier parts of Paris or were too cheap to care. A nylon duffel bag lay on the bed next to a small pile of clothes and a toiletry bag. Small hands grabbed his hips and tucked. He allowed himself to be turned around to face the woman, who shut the steel door and twisted the locks. She leaned against the door and stared up at him with huge blue eyes. 
Are you still up for this? Max was so up for this that his cock ached. Yes. And promise me you'll leave in the morning. Don't wake me up. Don't say goodbye. Just go. She was just an odd little duck. All right. Are you sure? Maxence was going to ask her just how intoxicated she was, and suggest perhaps they could do this tomorrow, when she was in more of a mental state to make such a decision. But the little blonde said, Good. Then reached up and grabbed fistfuls of his t-shirt right over his collarbones and jerked, trying to pull him down to kiss her. Max considered letting her yank on him while he stood immovable, until they had a cogent conversation about whether she was too drunk to consent. But that time had passed. At this point, his choice was to either have sex with her or defend himself. Also, he didn't want her to rip the shirt right off his shoulders. He didn't need to try to hail a cab to drive him the miles back to his hotel, the Four Seasons Hotel Georges V, Paris, while naked to the waist. This t-shirt wasn't even his. Not that he planned to give the shirt back to Arthur. If Max wanted to mess with him, he'd have a case of t-shirts delivered just to piss Arthur off. So Maxence allowed her to pull him down, then grabbed her around the waist, picked her up, and slammed her back against the door with her legs cinched around his waist. He tangled his fingers in her spider silk hair and took her lips with his, sucking and jutting his tongue into her mouth. She groaned against his lips and held on to his shoulders, and then she broke off the kiss, twisted her neck, and sucked and bit a path from his ear down his throat. Maxence's mind flashed white. The woman in his arms consumed his thoughts. Fire flashed over his skin, and he tightened his arms around her until she squeaked while he carried her toward the bed. Testosterone roared in his veins in thundering heartbeat. They crashed onto the bed. The clothes and duffel bag ended up on the floor, whether from the bounce of their weight on the mattress, or if she had swept them aside. He didn't care. He was a mindless beast enraged by lust and the desire to thrust inside her. She stretched the neck of his t-shirt, pulling at it, and he stripped off his shirt and threw it aside. He heard her murmur, Oh, jeez, will you look at that? And is that a tattoo? As he fell back onto her, braced his arms by her ears, and kissed her until she panted into his mouth and squirmed under his body. Her tiny fingers slipped inside the waistband of his trousers, plucking at his pants and tickling his ribs. But he wasn't finished kissing her yet. He grabbed her hands and stretched them above her head, because her tickling his bare skin was driving him crazy. She moaned as he pinned her wrists to the mattress above her head and kissed her more deeply, sucking her mouth and tongue because he craved her taste. He moved away from her lips, letting her gulp air while he mouthed the undersides of her arms, her neck, and down to the tops of her breasts, plumping above the low neckline of her red dress. A tiny row of white lace lined the edge of her décolletage. He hadn't even seen the lace trim until he licked it, and the surprise of that little feminine extra on her dress delighted him. He ran his tongue under it, feeling the roughness of the lace and the satin of her skin as she gasped and her skin rose to him. Max held himself up on the knuckles of his hand that restrained her wrists and scooped one gorgeous tit out of her dress, and he sucked her pink nipple hard into his mouth. 
She arched under him, and he sucked more of her breast. She was keening now, mewling with wanting him too. He pulled hard enough on her to make her cry out, before he yanked her dress below her other tit and went to work on that one. The stretchy dress acted like an elastic band, holding her breasts up and together so he could suck on one and then the other, biting and drawing on one until it became too sensitive, and then surprising her by pinching the other one hard between his fingers. Her breasts were so beautiful, firm and plump and round with femininity. He finally couldn't stand just pinching and tormenting them and hearing her soft cries, so he dragged her off the bed and spun her to turn her back to him. Again, she uttered a squeak of surprise, like the fluffy little animal she was, and it drove him into a frenzy of wanting to fuck her. Maxence was quite aware that his body was being used for whatever her purposes were, so he was going to make sure she got whatever it was she was looking for, and then some. He snatched his T-shirt off the floor, stretched it out into a rope, and tied her wrists behind her back with a quick knot. He could push her over the bed and take her from behind, using her bound wrists to pull her back onto his cock. Later. Oh, I... she said. He turned her back to face him, and shoved her shoulders to force her to kneel at his feet, right by the side of the tall bed. Open. Her blue eyes were wide, almost frightened, just the hint of tears on her lower eyelids, but not quite enough to make him stop. God, this woman was perfect. He could fuck her for weeks. He unbuttoned his tuxedo trousers, lifting away the long flap that wrapped to his obliques. I said, open your mouth and lay back across the bed because I'm going to fuck your tits first, then your mouth. She eased herself backward, her eyes still wide and wary, and he pulled his erection out of his pants. He hadn't thought her eyes could get any bigger, but they did. Her eyes grew to huge, startled pools of blue. Max didn't need to give her the spiel about how he could hold back if he hurt her, yet. Let her worry that he was going to force that monster inside her for a while. He stepped forward to straddle her legs, flopped it on her chest, and pressed it between the fragrant globes of her breasts. The neckline of her dress he'd pulled under her breasts still pressed her tits tightly together, and he slid between them, the dry friction of her skin tugging at his foreskin and shaft. Slippery beads of pre-cum leaked from his tip, wetting her cleavage with each stroke. Pleasure rippled up his skin. He wanted to fuck every part of her, but he'd start with this. Slow at first, because he wanted to feel himself fucking her smoothness, he held those delicious tits more tightly and thumbed her nipples, then pinched them every time he slid through. She was half lying back on the bed, arching her breasts harder into his hands as he kneaded and fucked them, and moaning with his hands pulling and pinching her. The tension built in him, and he didn't hold back, because he was going to keep fucking her anyway. As his body tightened, he grabbed a handful of her hair and shoved his cock into her mouth. Her tongue wrapped his cock, licking him inside her mouth, and he fucked her face until he came. He squeezed his eyes shut, crashing into the moment of mindless ecstasy and the electric, involuntary spasms slamming through his body. He held her on him while he spurted down her throat. When he released her, 
She sucked his softening erection back into her mouth for a second, and then licked the long, thick length of him with the sumptuous flat of her tongue so he could see her do it, and she looked up at him while her tongue ran up the length of him. God, he got swollen and hard again, just watching her do that. He grabbed her hair on the back of her head in his fist and guided her mouth down to lick his erection again, and then up. She stared into his eyes while she worked his cock with her tongue. Oh, this woman would be a handful. He grabbed her under her armpits and easily tossed her back over the bed, her hands still bound behind her back. He tucked his pants up around his waist so he wouldn't trip on them. She flopped and rolled a little to one side as she shoved her dress up around her waist and yanked her panties down her legs with one hand. She flipped her arms over her head because he'd only loosely bound her hands. She could roll her wrists and reposition them easily within the stretchy and soft cotton of his T-shirt. He grabbed the whole coverlet, dragged her toward him, and buried his face between her thighs. He jammed his tongue deep inside her, fucking her with his tongue. Her hips rose off the bed, and her gasp was a hard cry. He ate her out, sucking at her folds of flesh and the hard knot at the apex between them, and licking up and down her wet slit. When she tried to roll away from him, crying out, Not yet! I don't want to come yet! He wrestled her hips down with a full Nelson around her thighs and sucked her into his mouth. She was crying and thrashing, her breasts jiggling when he glanced up, and he unwrapped one arm from her thigh and slid his fingers inside her to press up with his fingers and down with his tongue. On his left shoulder, her hand clenched and her fingernails pressed into his skin just a little. His attention faltered, feeling the promise of pain from her nails, but she released him. He rubbed her hard with both his fingers and tongue, and her whole body flailed as she sucked in a gasp, and then pulsed around his fingers and against his tongue, in fluttering vibrations as she shrieked and grabbed handfuls of his dark hair. He drew out her orgasm, continuing to grind his tongue and fingers inside her slowly, gently, to make her keep cresting and pulsing again and again, longer and longer, until she was sobbing with each breath and gasp. He retreated, listening to her pant with a tortured rasp at the beginning of each breath. Ah, nice. Gently he rolled her over on her stomach and let her curvy female legs splay off the side of the bed. Her hands swiveled behind her back, where his t-shirt was knotted around them. The blonde's dress was a red band that tightly cinched her waist, almost like a corset, and her round, bare ass made him want to come on every inch of her skin. He stroked her ass cheeks, watching his hands and fingers splay over them, taking his time. She lay limply on the bed, her head turned to the side, still breathing harshly with her eyes closed. He leaned forward and rested his erection between the cheeks of her ass, feeling her sweet flesh with his dick too, and his voice was a deep bass octave when he asked her, you ready to be fucked? Yes, she whispered. Yes. Maxence had kept his pants on for a reason, and he pulled his wallet out of his back pocket and opened it. He'd stopped by a corner pharmacy on the way from the hotel to the Buddha bar earlier that night to restock. He rolled the tight sheath onto his erection. Maxence held his engorged cock to her folds, 
running the head through her juicy flesh, becoming slipperier with each pass. She moaned, and her hands rolled in the t-shirt where he'd tied them. He glided his head over her clit until she moaned harder, her pale eyebrows furrowing in the middle. Her cheek was mashed against the bed, and her mouth hung open. He pressed himself inside her, just his tip at first, slowly easing his way in, and holding back from ramming himself into her like he wanted to. Her moans turned to little grunts as he pressed inside her, feeling how much she could take, and waiting for that soft resistance that meant he should go no farther. His cock slowly slid inside the woman up to the hilt, and he was balls deep in her. She was breathing hard, each exhale a catch in her throat. He leaned over and kissed her shoulder before he whispered against the back of her neck, I'm going to fuck you until you come. I can't, she whispered. One and done. Just do what you want to. Maxence's voice fell even lower into his throat, nearly a growl. I said, I'm going to fuck you until you come. It was a warning. Her eyes opened when he said that, fear filling the blueness again. It might be a little too much, he knew, but she hadn't asked for a man to take her to bed and gently make love to her. She'd asked him to fuck her to start a new life. And at that point, Max couldn't do anything less. He stood and palmed the gorgeous swells of her hips, feeling her pliable flesh in his hands, and he pulled her back slowly to sheath his cock inside her. Her soft whimper made him swell harder. Fucking her until she came might take hours, and he was going to make sure she wasn't disappointed in this first night of the rest of her life. He worked her body onto his cock, dragging her back with her hips. When she was becoming too complacent with that, he grabbed her wrists where he tied them together and pulled her back, slapping his hips against the generous flesh of her ass and burying himself deep inside her. Her cry that time was sharper. It wasn't pain, but shocked pleasure, just like he'd thought. He rocked back and yanked her back onto him, slapping their bodies together. Her breath became more strangled, and her core was beginning to tighten around him. He fucked her from behind and watched his cock pumping inside her, the swollen veins and engorged flesh slamming into her softness, harder every time he wrenched her arms backward and thrust inside. She was crying out again now, her head tucked down to push herself back harder. His balls swung as he pounded into her. She was lifting her hips, and he let her do it for a while before he pushed her ass down and ground her against the side of the bed, pinning her in place with his cock like a butterfly he'd spiked in a collection. The pressure forced the inside of her clit to rub his cock, just like he knew it would, and her body viced down on him as she arched backward, her eyes squeezed shut, and her flesh turned to flutters and tongues squeezing his cock. Maxence couldn't stop himself, and speared his cock into her, impaling her soft, wet flesh with his maleness, and the world fell away into that moment of stillness and bliss with her all around him, every heartbeat an eternity, and his balls pulsed while he held her body under him. His skin was exquisitely sensitive, and yet he was flayed alive. Exhaustion took him, and he fell. Maxence rested his forehead against her spine, gulping air while his heart slammed in his chest. A bead of sweat, hers or his, he didn't know, 
wandered over her skin and trailed down her side. Hers or his? He still didn't know her name. Remorse settled over him. He should have found out what her name was. He should have been more restrained. He shouldn't even be here. Her sides heaved, and her breath rasped in her throat. Oh, my God, you did it. Twice. I think I'm going to die. He whispered. What's your name? Her shoulder was a curve of pale skin on the dark blue duvet. Dree. Odd name. Must be short for something. I'm... Don't tell me, she said, still panting. Or lie to me. Don't tell me your real name. Any name but your real one. The orgasm still reverberated in his mind, making a muddle of his thoughts. What? Not your real name. And remember that you have to leave before morning. She was murmuring drunkenly into the duvet. I'm supposed to have a one-night stand with a beautiful man who I'll never see again. It's on the list. I don't want to be able to find you, even if I wanted to. So, not your real name. What a weird little girl. Maxence pulled back and kicked his pants off his ankles while he got rid of the condom. He yanked his shirt off her wrists, untying her. His mind was still a blurred mass of smudges. Dree, for that was the blonde's name, was wiggling, trying to free herself from the tight, red dress like she was fighting her way out of a cocoon. She'd gotten her elbows inside the red roll of elastic around her waist. He helped her, pulling at the straps and finally locating a zipper. She popped out of it like a sausage splitting its casing, sucked in a few panicked breaths, and tossed the red fabric over the footboard and onto the floor. The bed was a four-poster. Damn, he really should have made use of those. Four posts. Three. The Trinity. Augustine, Maxant said, almost chuckling with the rightness of it. My name is Augustine. Like St. Augustine, Dree asked, rolling and wriggling to get under the covers. Like the City of God, that's St. Augustine? The City of God was St. Augustine's most famous book, yes. Maxence rolled naked onto the bed and pulled the duvet over himself. The room had turned chilly in the December night. More like when Augustine was younger. Like his prayer. God, grant me chastity and sobriety, but not yet. A chuckle was slow at first but sped up to a laugh. But not yet. The double bed had two pillows, so Max commandeered one and grasped the voluptuous Dree, pulling her against himself and spooning her. Not yet. Maybe someday. God will grant me chastity and sobriety, but he has not done it yet. Well, I'm glad God hasn't answered your prayer for chastity yet, Augustine. Because that was spectacular. Damn, that was gratifying. As he was drifting off, she asked, What's that tattoo on your back or your arm? But Maxence was already descending into sleep, and he couldn't make his mouth move. 
Rescuing two women in two days, and then satisfying each of them, didn't leave much time for sleep, and he was damn tired. Chapter 3 Plan Sunlight bouncing off the sunny yellow walls glared on Dree's face and stabbed her eyes, so she squeezed them more tightly shut. The DJ from the night before at the Buddha bar had crammed the nightclub's enormous speakers inside Dree's skull and turned up the pulsing bass to full volume. Her shoulders were sore. So were her boobs. Not to mention between her legs. She might have a hangover, too, but that guy, Augustine, had been amazing in bed. She had been well and truly fucked. Last night was exactly the sort of thing that she needed to draw a bright line in the sand between her old life and her new one. She'd needed a fantastic night with a gorgeous, gorgeous man whom she'd never see again. She was never going to see him again, right? He had left during the night, right? Dree held her breath, and despite her hangover, she squinted and rolled over, hoping like hell that he had done as she'd asked and taken off during the night. The other side of the bed was empty. The sheets were rumpled and the pillow lay askew. Oh, thank goodness. Dree did not need to explain herself to anyone in the light of day just then. Her life was a god-awful mess. Putting it back together was going to take a hell of a lot of work, and she didn't need some hanger-on bugging her for ass while she was trying to deal with it. Besides, she had a bucket list to attend to. She had a hundred more things she wanted to experience in Paris before she caught that plane in four more days. She swung her legs around and hopped down to the floor, smiling a little at the edge of the bed. Her legs wobbled as she tried to walk. Man, Augustine had gone at her so hard last night that she might have sprained something. She should have stretched before a marathon like that. Her muscles had locked up so tightly when she'd come that second time that tears had leaked out of her eyes and she'd thought she might get a migraine. It had been spectacular. Augustine had been spectacular, and as a part of a last hedonistic few days before she changed her life, he had been perfect. She could limp around Paris and do the next couple of things on her napkin-based bucket list with a grin on her face. The plan had been one night, and then he would leave. She was not going to feel bad about it. Even if she kind of wanted to see him again, hear him talk again, and lick his hard, hot skin again. But no, that was not the plan. She would stick to the plan. She stumbled to the kitchen area and chugged a glass of water straight out of the tap. Then another. Dehydration was the enemy. Getting over a hangover migraine required water. Back in nursing school, she and her friends had given each other the ultimate cure for a hangover. 800 milligrams of ibuprofen, a liter of lactated ringer saline solution delivered intravenously, and 10 minutes of breathing pure oxygen. In half an hour, that would entirely cure even the worst hangover. Damn, she really needed an IV and some O2 just then. A can of coffee ground stood beside the coffee maker, and she thanked St. Augustine and all the other saints that the B&B had supplied her with coffee. Last night, after she'd gotten off the plane, ridden the subway, and found her room, she'd just kind of dumped everything and thrown on her one good dress to go to the Buddha bar in a fit of blind rage and despair. 
Packets of sugar lay on the counter beside the coffee pot, so she dumped three of them into a cup and added coffee to it. No milk. But she wasn't picky. Maybe that's what Dree's problem was. Maybe she should be pickier. Or at least a whole lot less gullible. At the thought of just how damn gullible she was, another horrible possibility occurred to Dree. Shock slammed her, and her heartbeat battered her temples. She grabbed her purse, frantically praying that even though she'd been hopelessly stupid and naive, maybe she'd escape the consequences this time. Probably not. Probably not. She opened her purse and shook it hard. Her wallet fell out with a heavy plop on the kitchen counter. She scrambled while opening it anyway, and a wad of pastel-colored euros scattered on the white formica. She spread the bills out, frantically counting them, but it looked like all her 152 euros were still there. Her heart was still slamming in her chest, and she braced her arms on the counter and gulped air with relief. How stupid was she for picking up some guy, bringing him back to her hotel room, and then passing out drunk while he was there? He could have stolen all her money, which was everything she had left in the world, and walked out while she'd slept it off. With her luck, she was surprised he hadn't stolen all her money and her clothes and left her literally naked without a shirt on her back. But she was okay. She wasn't going to make that mistake again. No more trusting people with her money or her heart. And today, her goal was to figure out how to put her life back together and go on. She was going to live a whole new kind of life, one where she was smart and had adventures and didn't get taken advantage of. Yep, today was the first day of the rest of her life, and she was a whole new person starting it. From now on, Dree was the kind of woman who would travel to Paris by herself or fuck a gorgeous man if she wanted to. There was nothing she wouldn't do. She even had a napkin that mapped out her new life. Dree picked up the cocktail napkin from the countertop and smoothed it out to look at what was written there. A threesome. A foursome with three guys. A gangbang. Three distinct feminine handwriting styles filled the fragile paper, forming a list of adventures. Some of the writing was her own, and some belonged to the two women she'd met at the Buddha bar when she'd first gotten there. They'd insisted that Dree join them for supper and drinks so adamantly that Dree had suspected they were planning to dine and dash and stick her with the bill. But they hadn't. On the napkin they'd written, Fuck a man against a wall in an alley. An incredible night on a beach by the sea. Menage a whole bunch. Dree laughed. God, she'd almost done it. She'd had so much tequila to drink last night that a gangbang had seemed like a good idea. Instead, she'd had a one-night stand with a beautiful man who you'll never see again. She'd done it. She'd done one item on the list. Dree hunted through her duffel bag lying on the floor, which held three changes of workout clothes that needed washing, some random makeup products, her hospital ID badge, a set of clean scrubs, a curling iron with an American-style plug that wouldn't work in France, and a cheap ballpoint with Good Samaritan Hospital stamped on the side. Dree uncapped the pen and carefully drew a line through the item. A one-night stand with a beautiful man who you'll never see again. One item down. About fifty to go. She perused the rest of them idly because not all of them were sexual in nature. 
do fun and wonderful things. Dance in a parade on the Champs-Élysées. London, Amsterdam, Monaco, and Nepal. The countries were a list of places she should visit, or ideally live for a while. Dree couldn't even imagine going to or living in those places. But maybe, maybe today she would make a plan so that it would be possible. It was funny how losing everything had opened her up to new possibilities, like living in London or Amsterdam, maybe. She continued reading down the list. Buy a beautiful Hermes scarf. Buy a coach purse. Eat at these restaurants. Le Cinque, Le Trompe Nous Sonc, Alain Ducasse au Plaza Etheny. See the Louvre. Dries sighed. Those would have to wait for her next trip to Paris. Those few euros in her wallet had to last her the whole trip. She needed to eat, and if she wanted to see the rest of Paris, buy metro tickets to get there. She hadn't realized that Francis had booked their fly B&B room, quite so far from the middle of the city. She wished she could have done some of those things, though. She drank enough coffee to feel human, brushed her teeth and stepped in the tiny corner shower. One of the complimentary soaps had been unwrapped and was lying in the soap dish, and it was clean. One of the room's pink towels was damp, where it hung over the towel bar. Augustine must have taken a shower before he left, which she certainly didn't begrudge him. That incredible body of his must require maintenance. She only wished she'd gotten a good look at the huge tattoo covering his broad back before he left last night. Or the one on his arm. That one seemed intricate. Dree scrubbed herself raw and used some of the shampoo in the tiny bottle to wash her hair, which flipped around her head while she lathered it. She'd never had short hair before. If she'd had enough money, she should have had somebody even it out after a hasty chop job with surgical scissors right before she'd fled from the hospital to the airport. She pulled on an oversized gym t-shirt that, upon sniffing, didn't need washing too badly. When she got out of the bathroom, her phone was ringing. An odd octave-scaling ring. That was weird. Dree didn't even have cell service in Europe. She'd tried to get her phone to work when she'd been in the airport, but it had just roamed and refused to connect. When she picked it up, the screen said the call was coming through one of her social media accounts. Talkbook. Not her phone. At the top of the screen, the Wi-Fi symbol was lit up. Oh, she was getting Wi-Fi access in the Fly B&B room, not real cellular service. Her thumb tapped the circle before she noticed the name on the Talkbook account was Francis Senft. Oh, no. But she'd already accepted his call. Where the fuck are you? Francis yelled through the phone and his face resolved into a screaming red blob of anger. You used the airplane ticket? I was trying to get a refund or claim the travel insurance for those tickets, and you goddamn used one? It was in my name, she said, her voice choking up, because it always did when she was ashamed. I was trying to get the money for them because I goddamn need the money. This wasn't the Francis she'd known and loved for eleven months. Yesterday, he turned into this crazy guy demanding money. I paid for them, she said. I could use one if I wanted to. No, you couldn't, you dumb bitch. I needed that money. He was so different. Dree didn't even recognize this guy who wore Francis's face and was screaming at her. 
Tears spilled over her eyelids and traced hot wetness down her face. She didn't know what new Dree would do in the situation yet. She just knew that old Dree would apologize to him and figure out some way to give him more than she should, because everyone else was more important than she was. The instinct to apologize gathered in her throat, so she hung up the phone and turned it off. Just as the phone powered down, it started to ring that odd chime, and Francis's name reappeared. The phone died with a sad squawk. And someone knocked on her door. Oh, God. Had Francis used the other plane ticket and come to Paris to find her? He had made the hotel reservations with her credit card. If he was in Paris, he would know where she was. She crept to the door, stood on her tiptoes, and peered through the fisheye lens. Augustine stood outside in the hallway, holding flowers, two large paper cups, and a pink box. He was just as frickin' beautiful as she remembered, though he was wearing a white dress shirt and khaki pants. She cranked the two locks that worked and flipped the door open. Augustine, you're not supposed to come back. I'm never supposed to see you again. That was the rule. He stared at her and said, I promise to take you shopping for a new coat. Why are you crying? <laughs>